This podcast is part of the Midwest Podcast Network. Find out more about our other shows and how to support our network at MidwestPodcastNetwork.com. Welcome to Gone to Texas, a podcast about AMC's Preacher. My name is Alex, and I have not read any of Garth Ennis and Steve Dillon's Preacher. And I am Nick, and I have read all of it, The Preacher. Yes. Today, we're going to be discussing Season 2, Episodes 1 and 2 of the series titled On the Road and Mumbai Sky Tower, respectively. While we will not be spoiling any of the comic and, by extension, any future plot lines of the show, we will be discussing the details of the series through Season 2, Episode 2, so pause this and go watch the show before you listen to the rest of this episode. You can find more episodes of our podcast at g2tpodcast.com. That's the letter G, number 2, letter T, podcast.com. Uh, we're also G2T Podcast on Twitter, and you can send feedback to G2T Podcast at gmail.com to tell us what you think of our podcast and share your thoughts on AMC's Preacher so we can read them on our show. Send us corrections, observations, or anything regarding Preacher or our podcast. Please let us know if there are spoilers in the subject because I will pass it along to Nick and I will not read it in that case. Comic spoilers. Yes. Uh, not much listener feedback except Jason uh, wrote in to let us know he's excited for Preacher Season 2 and he's excited for Gone to Texas Season 2. So thank you, Jason. Thanks, Jason. We're excited to have you along. Uh, but we'd like to hear more from everybody. So hopefully this episode being out there inspires you guys to write into us. That's G2T Podcast at gmail.com once again. Yes, I hope Bruce and yeah. everybody else are still out there. Yeah, we haven't heard from from Bruce as of yet, but uh, hopefully we start getting some, some of people's thoughts on the show. Nick, welcome back. I recorded a little primer without you I last know. week. I listened to it. Yeah. I just shook my head the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, not, it's great to be back. Not enough comic book reader knowledge. It's great to primer. be. <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess we should say, just to catch people up in case they didn't notice, I don't know how they wouldn't notice because I definitely co-opted the feed for this show, but we did a similar thing for Westworld called <coughs> Westworld FM Yep. Uh, when that was airing back in October, but since then we haven't really been podcasting too much together. We had a Film Nerds episode. Uh, yeah, I literally have not seen Alex since <laughs> the finale of, of, of Gone to Texas. <laughs> we did that remotely. Yeah. Uh, How have you been? How's your year been? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's he's lying. That's true. Uh, but it's true. That's false. Last time we were doing Gone to Texas, Film Nerds was still going on. It so. was, you know, and I I re-listened to prime myself for this. Yeah, I went back and listened to our episode ten episode and our season wrap up, and I really meant to listen to. I didn't mean to listen to our whole show because that sounds a little self indulgent. It's kind of hard to want to do that by the end of the season you know like after you've seen all of the show yeah it, it is i i like going back sometimes and listening to our previous stuff because i yeah. like to know how we did i like to and it was good to come back to revisit it uh after some time passed so i definitely left uh listening to those two episodes with a lot of notes on how to be even better this season yeah which i think is productive but also it was a good way to catch me up on not only what happened but how i felt at the time yeah because i have a really weird memory and mm-hmm. I, as i was listening to it i was like i forgot i had all these opinions <laughs> and uh it's good to it's good to kind of you know tap back into that and and get back into that mindset of leaving that season cuz it's uh it's such a good season for sure and this sure. season is shaping up to be pretty cool also yeah 
and uh, it's, it's also shaping up to be kind of scary because now we're we're in we're in the books yeah you're in the territory we're in the, the we're uh, in the shit yeah oh, i uh yeah i went back and listened a little bit to the season or the episode 10 uh recap episode and i was very disappointed in how much recapping i was doing <laughs> especially because by the end of westworld i kind of figured out a little bit more about yeah. how to keep the recapping concise and make the discussion the more prevalent part of the show yes so hopefully i've applied that knowledge here and uh and people will enjoy it if you want more recap or less recap please let me know and we can figure out the right balance for our listeners but with all that said we'll talk about season two episode one titled on the road uh, the teaser picks up with the crew on the road headed to see Jesse's old family friend Mike and they get into a car chase uh, with some cops who see them speeding along and they subsequently get pulled over by these cops because uh, they can't quite get away. Jesse utilizes Genesis to get away from the cops but not before the scene of killers starts shooting up all of the people that are on the road. Uh, so, yes, opening se- scene of, of the second season. Uh any any general thoughts here? Like, what what did you think about it as as an opening to the to the how this like a tonal opening to the season? I thought it was good. I must have thought it was good because I have I don't have any notes on the episode until about halfway through the episode. Yeah. So I think you I was I was kind of in. along for the ride. Yeah, in 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 more ways than one. Yeah. Uh, I it is. You know, I watched it. I wa- so I listened to our two previous episodes between watching episode one and episode two yeah had i listened to our episodes before episode one it probably would have been even more jarring but it's it's going to be a very different show and we we said that ad nauseum at the end of last season but it's going to be a very different show and right off the bat i was like you know we're uh we're not going to have a lot of permanence in this season i don't Mm -hmm. think we'll ever stay in one place for too long unless they start to get to a certain arc in the books that does happen pretty early and if they do that, it'll probably be the second half of this season. But they haven't released those episode names yet, so I was already trying yeah. to look ahead and divine what might be coming. Um, but I don't think, you know, I don't think we'll have a lot of locations that the guys will hunker down in for very long. I don't think we'll have a lot of characters that will become mainstays, which is part of what's going to make this season such a stark contrast to season one as we spent that whole season with the same characters. Yeah. Like in in watching modern TV shows, you were kind of conditioned to see these same people. So when this one started, I already kind of was carrying with me like Odin and uh, Arseface. Yeah. And or I guess I should call him Eugene. They don't really call him Arseface in the show. And Sheriff Root and the the Loaches and all these mm-hmm. Karen Miles and all these people we got to know in season one. And I was like, oh, but they're gone. And spoilers for season one. <laughs> they gone. <laughs> And, and we put that spoiler alert and, up front, and they're not coming back. And yeah. I was kind of like, "Oh, I'm gonna, well, miss, I'm gonna miss Odin. I'm gonna miss his, U- Eugene is coming back. Eugene we, we is know coming that. back. Yes. Ian Coletti's name is in the opening credits yes. of both of these episodes. Yep. Yet he's not. He's not in either one. Yeah, uh, which is just a very interesting thing to get used to, and yeah. it, it puts me in a funny place as a fan of the comics because you know, again, as we said, and we're we're probably going to repeat a lot of stuff that we said at the end of season one, but this is just a transition, so to speak. Uh, as a fan of the books. If if the show had started with this season, it probably would have been okay. Yeah. I would have been fine, but I think other people would have been a little bit. It's a big ask of your audience to just leap, to just grab your hand, to grab Seth Rogen's hand and <laughs> leap into the unknown with him. Yeah, uh, it's a big ask. So it is really cool what they did with season one, making it issue zero as you called it, yep. which I thought was really good, and kind of introducing us to this world 
and these characters and la- laying the groundwork for, for what's to come, which I think was great. Uh, I think we got a fair amount of development of all three leads in season one. Yeah. Uh, obviously, we got a ton with Jesse and we got a lot with Tulip and we get a little bit in Cassidy, but it's mostly development that he undergoes with those characters mm-hmm. or it's hinted at. And that kind of continues in this new season. And it's early. And maybe I should just talk about this later, but I'm already a little bit uh, dissatisfied with the amount of attention Cassidy's getting. Yeah. However, he doesn't get a lot of development until later in the books. Okay. So I guess we're probably par for the course. Might, we right might now. be on par for what we're what you've read in the books, but right, which is kind of essential to his character in a way. Yeah. You are you're supposed to to take him mostly at face value, and then things kind of turn on their head a little bit, and and you're and you you suddenly realize you want to know a lot more about this guy you didn't necessarily know that you wanted to know more about. And I can see that coming. Cassidy for me is still kind of the standout and like he's the one that I want to keep my eyes on and see what he's doing all of the time and just drink in his performance because (laughs) Joseph Gilgan is so fantastically uh, wacky in the role in a show where like he probably brings like. 40% 40% of the wackiness that's going on here because right. the rest of it's all Seth Rogen and, and Evan Goldberg pretty much. Yes. But, uh, and Lance and I were, were talking about friend of the show and co-host of the show or a guest of the show, Lance, who is also a fan and has read all of it. Uh, he and I were talking about Joe Gilgan's performance and exactly how he just nails it on every front. And obviously part of the credit needs to go to the writers of the show because yeah. they get that he gets it and, they get it. So they work together to do a really, really pitch perfect adaptation of Cassidy. And he's he's disarming and fun and you get in his corner, but you don't know why. Because on you know, if you objectively look at Cassidy, you're like, I should not I should not root for this guy. <laughs> yeah. I don't know anything about him. Mm-hmm. He's clearly dangerous. Uh, he's a vampire <laughs> and he's a drug addict and kind of just a maniac. For and sure. Yet you just love him. Yeah. It's perfect. Absolutely. Uh, I liked the teaser. I don't want to say that I loved it. Um, the, the certain elements, like you immediately get reminded this is a Seth Rogen joint by Cassidy's uh, proselytizing about foreskin and, and certain and, and, uh, facial creams and stuff like that. Yes. So like getting like you're immediately like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm in the car with Seth Rogen driving right now. But then uh, the way that the show like as the chase begins to start we we see this artificial uh kind of old film and overexposure effect take place during that chase and i kind of wanted to pick your brain about a little bit as somebody who's more technically into the the film field uh i personally wasn't a huge fan of it because while i'm like all right i get what they're going for here i feel like for some reason it made the green screen in the car pop out a lot more, and it kind of took me out of the show. It's almost like when you watched Planet Terror and the fake movie grain called more attention to the effects. Yeah, ex- exactly. Like, it, and I don't know. I don't necessarily know why that is. Maybe just messing with the lighting that much, which is a very delicate thing to do on a green screen, just completely throws it out of whack. But I don't know if that's something that they could have like adjusted for and 
and fixed. Like, what did you think about the their use of of that effect? I mean, it, it's probably just meant to be like, look, this is fun. It's a Dukes of Hazard style, you know, car chase going on. But uh, I'm glad that you are actually talking about what happened in the episode because I just realized that everything I said prior has <laughs> nothing to do with the opening scene. So That's okay. as, as always, thanks for, it back. thanks for grabbing the ship's wheel and going, yep. now, hold on. Yep. We're going to the new world here. <laughs> I, I didn't like that at, at first because I thought it was really unmotivated. Yeah. And I still don't really understand why they did it. I think the only, the only thing I can think of that kind of made sense to me is I think in that in that moment in that scene when you're with the three of them this this moment where they all are jiving and their their course is clear and they all know where they stand with each other and all of their roles are clearly defined I think this would be the kind of time capsule moment that if you were these people and you were the friends you would look back and say those were the good old days mm. so there's a there's a point in the book uh early on and this may happen yet, but this isn't really a spoiler. They they take a Polaroid together, the three of them. Yeah. And it's very much that moment of like, here we are having a great time together, the three of us, and life is grand and everybody's happy. And uh, Cassidy uh, is best friends with Jesse and Jesse's in love with Tulip and uh, everything's just great. And that Polaroid is a really cool moment that happens pretty, like I said, pretty early on in the series. Yeah. It's probably like issue, was probably like issue 12, maybe a little bit earlier. I'm trying to remember because there is a, there's a pretty big, pretty substantial arc that happens early, but I think it's like oddly spaced. Anyway, I kind of think this is almost the representation of that moment. And that grain is kind of, I think to me, a little evocative of like a home movie or yeah. like kind of a, kind of a fun look back on this. That makes sense. That's the only thing I can think of. And I'm only saying that because I have knowledge of that scene from the book. Part of me wonders if it was more of a, we want to make this chase scene pop, but we also don't want to blow our budget. Well, here's the thing. They, they had an awesome ch- car sequence in season one with Tulip in the car through the cornfield. Yeah. And that I can't, the budget of this scene, I can't think was too high. I mean, they flipped some cars and, yeah. and they drove through a construction site. It wasn't anything crazy. Yeah. So... Uh, that's why I thought initially it was unmotivated, but the more I was thinking about it, I was like, that that was just my personal th- kind of theory that I'm carrying into with me. And that, no, I think, I because think I mean, it, it totally it, apply. Yeah. The, that's one of those memories where like, I mean, you and I have a, have a thousand memories. We can just remember stupid stuff like Vivid that detail, in the car yeah. singing along to come on Eileen. when you were just talking about like what they do with foreskins. Like yeah. it's very much a conversation you have with your buddies when you're all like 22 years old. Yep. Or maybe if you're a normal person, it's when you're younger because you're, <laughs> you're more serious than we are. Um, but that's kind of what it, what it made me think of. Because then it, ha- it, it as soon as it ends the the scene, the chase scene ends, that kind of fades away. Yeah, yeah. It, it, like as soon as they get, you get that jarring. The the cop pulls Jesse out of the car and slams him on the hood, and mm-hmm. it's gone as yeah. soon as the the cut happens. So I I mean, I didn't really love it, but I'm not like it's not. It didn't ruin anything for me, I guess. Sure. It was just weird to me that like I believed all of the green screen up until that moment, mm-hmm. and then it just really took me out of it. Um, other than that, we've got uh, Jesse using Genesis, the first use of Genesis in the in the season here, uh, and and Tulip's kind of noted um, disgust or protest. She kind of thinks it's it makes things too easy. It's not fun anymore. Essentially, is what she says. Yeah. Um, which I think it, it, it'll be, I think it'll be more important. It, it, she seems like a little bit of the moral conscience 
of using Genesis, but also kind of weirdly with her own motivations of like, that doesn't, it's not fun. Yeah. I think that's kind of her disguise saying, although it's not, it's not I guess, fun. and, and this is, yeah, exactly. Like this it's kind of mess comes her. up later on in the episode that she kind of has a more moral, uh, problem with, with right. the issue and she's it's, been on it's the, an invasion of somebody she's been on the receiving end of it yes so she knows yeah and jesse clearly hasn't but um saint killer shows up yep first real big bloodbath other than the bar his, his yeah. bar in, yeah. in the in the first season uh what'd you think about the saint it's pretty sweet yeah it's pretty sweet uh the only the only thing it that sounds w- like he's firing cannonballs right and he's yeah. just got a handgun and that's yeah really awesome. the only two things about it that i didn't like is i was like how are they hitting the ground like mortars <laughs> yeah <laughs> like that didn't make any sense yeah. and i was like this seems unnecessary and the only other thing i didn't really love uh, was just how f- how he was not in the scene he was like super far away yeah that's okay because it establishes the the danger of him mm-hmm. that he will shoot you from a mile away with a revolver yep but at the same time, I want I, I kind of want him to be up in there because most of the really sweet panels from the book are he's just in the thick of it. Mm-hmm. And you just see all these people's reactions to what's happening to them, what's happening to the people around them, and then him because he's this like enormous hulking guy in a cowboy hat. Yeah. And he's just great. Graham McTavish is mm-hmm. a really cool casting choice. His beard is still weird to me. Yeah. Which is strange for me to say because usually I'm down for a beard on any character. Yeah. Like let's like there was an album I saw online once of all superheroes that people added beards onto and it was <laughs> the best. And the Batman with the beard yeah, just growing through out the, of cowl. the cowl. Yeah. Is and it's got the slightly curled, almost Raj al ghoulish. Yep. Yeah. Oh, so good. <laughs> or like the Cyclops with the mustache. Mm-hmm. Oh man. It's awesome. <laughs> Facial hair usually enhances yeah. all these characters. So but in, in the in the book, the saint is is he clean shaven? He is clean shaven. Or, or kind yes. of? No, he's clean shaven. Okay. And there's something about that jaw and mm-hmm. that that the only hair is his actual hair in his head, that long, lank hair. They really nail that in the show. Yeah. But something about his jawline feels disruptive to me now, which is a really, really, I, I fully acknowledge. It's a weird thing for, <laughs> for me to be critiquing. But when you see him in the book, you, you can, he always has that, he has this like hilarious, like, perma scowl on his face he mm-hmm. always has, just has this sneer on his face and part of it is dylan face yeah by nature of what it is there's always some sort of facial scrunching happening yeah. <laughs> but the saint always has this look on his face you just google like saint of killer like basically if you saved if you saved a bunch of uh actually <laughs> i know this is true now because i went on uh, when i was reading preacher initially on my ipad uh I was screenshotting a lot of the panels to mm-hmm. like refer to back to them later. And with one of the newer iOS updates, you know how it catalogs faces. <laughs> well, get this. So I was going through my iPad today and I, I saw like my face and there's, I don't have a lot of pictures on my iPad. They're yeah. mostly panels or like articles I've been reading. So uh, there's like my face and there's like five photos and you know, you click on it and it gathers the photos of your face. Yeah. I saw one of uh, of Jesse Custer and I laughed and I clicked on it and it wasn't just Jesse Custer. <laughs> it was him and like the Saint of Killers and like Cassidy, pretty much anyone that Steve Dillon drew was just Apple understood it to be one Can person. Computers acknowledge that Dillon face is the thing. <laughs> yeah. we, we have uh, computational evidence. It is awesome. I was really happy to find that. But 
uh, whatever, if you just Google the state of killers from the book, you'll see that he's pretty much always making the same expression, and yeah. it's great. But something about the way they show him in the show with the, the shadow from the brim of his hat and the combination of the facial hair kind of hides that face, mm-hmm. which is okay. It's a, it's a different interpretation. It's a TV show, but I really used to look forward to when he was coming in the book. You would know, and then whenever he was finally revealed, I would just like laugh and want to, you know, pump fist pump and cheer because whenever he shows up, it's great. Yeah, and he always has that same look on his face, and it's just awesome. <laughs> so that's one of my o- only other critiques about the Saint of Killers arrival. Fair he's, he's always like. In the show, they're really hiding him. They're trying to keep him really mysterious. Yeah. And not humanize him, which is kind of what they're doing with Cassidy. Like, Cassidy very rarely has his sunglasses on in the show. Yep. And you actually mentioned in the uh, wrap-up of season one that I was excited when you put on the red sunglasses because that's his thing. And I get it. It's he's, he's a main character in the show. He's on the side of the good guys. Actors need eyes to emote mm-hmm. and to make connections with other characters. I get that. But you don't have to worry about that with a Santa Killer. It's like, show his face. That's yeah. fine because you will never humanize this thing because he's not human. They literally, literally say that he's in a episode two. Yeah. He, yeah, he's a force of nature. He's a hurricane. And uh, so just show him. Like, uh, I, I want to see a little bit more of him. They keep hiding him. So anyway, but other than that, him shooting through cars and, and uh, I like that they're putting the impact of his bullets on display with people like flying yeah and just exploding yes, upon contact which is what exactly how it should be yeah. yeah it should be ludicrous and it is so far which is great that's good but jesse's uh well jesse's use of the the word in that scene was i kind of he uses it very questionably in the book sometimes yeah and tulip's reaction to a lot of it is kind of how i felt while watching it i was kind of like oh, this is kind of mean like making the guy recite uh, the Yellow, the Yellow Rose of Texas. Of Texas. Yep, I was and, like, well, and the man that he makes the chief like mace his own testicles, essentially. So right. that, like, even that is just kind of like, yeah, you let you chuckle at first, and then when the the real the when the reality of it sets in, that they will literally never stop until he tells them to. Yep, which is a big thing that happens in the book. Anyone who has read the book will know exactly what I'm talking about. He does something like that in the book, and it just it will stick with you mm. with what happens. And I kind of hope that that scene happens in the movie, in the show, because it's so awesome. We might be building there with Tulip's moral questioning of things. Right. Anyway. Yeah. Santa Killers is great. I'm glad that they call them Santa Killers. Yeah. You know, and that we can say that. Uh, and yeah, I don't know that there's too much else on the teaser, but we can uh, we can kind of move on here. Uh, so the first act after the next commercial break, uh, Tulip pulls off to a gas station to wash out the intestine taste from her mouth because she used intestines to uh, siphon gas into the car. And then Jesse uses Genesis to get the gas station to forget that they were there. And he discovers a large caliber bullet that burns his hand when he touches it. Cassidy heals up and as they leave, the Santa killer shows up to ask where the preacher was headed, but the attendant can't tell him. So he rips out the attendant's tongue. Yes. Uh, so the intestines, you were crazy. Yeah, that was too much. I, I, <laughs> that was a little too far for the me. The intestine flapping behind the car to me was was kind. Of, it was it it almost annoyed me. Like I, I was just kind of like, yeah, it was it was a. Usually, even the the toilet humor in this show it has a, has an edge of sophistication to it, and yeah. I was like, that is just kind of gory, and I. I'm not against gore, but it just, I don't know, it just felt kind of gross. I didn't think that that really was necessary. And I, I saw a few commercials and, and trailers and things for this, which I typically try not to watch, but I remember seeing Tulip with the mouth on her face, or with the mouth on her face. <laughs> yeah, she, <laughs> the blood. she certainly has a mouth on her face, yes. but the blood that's 
around her mouth and i remember thinking man how does that happen yeah and then for it to just happen during a commercial break right and in such a nasty way i mean you it's i don't know what it's trying to say about tulip her her willingness to go the extra mile and yeah. use intestines to siphon gas out of a car somehow amidst explosions and stuff <laughs> but it just it kind of crossed a weird line where it it like Cassidy would do that and he'd yeah. be cool with it because he's eaten flesh. Yep. But for her, it was just kind of, it was a little, it didn't seem like something, it seemed out of character for Tulip. A little bit, yeah. And the only the only time it really paid off was when Cassidy told her that yoo and hot sauce are the combination to get the taste of flesh out of it, your mouth. Yeah, it's an adorable little scene, especially. Yeah, but it's not worth it. I, I yeah. just was kind of like, you know, that was, that was wasted time in the episode already. Just like, how about the cop just did it when Chessie asked him to and there was enough gas to get away? Like, there exactly, you go. You've, yeah. already, you've already explained away what they, happened. They just had to find Cassidy and like get out of there, essentially. We forgot to mention uh, Cassidy under the SUV was really yeah. good. Yeah. I like... I think it's kind of an essential thing in like action sequences where the main characters are, uh, do not have the upper hand that you got to put some sort of ticking clock on it. And that was a really good way for him that he just had to stand there and just watching him shimmy, knowing that was going on in the background was really funny. And some of his resourcefulness of, of you know, putting the man's head, <laughs> putting a head as like a stopper block yeah. on the wheel, but that failing and... Yeah, you know, the, I liked the, it. it. It it added a layer to the scene that I thought was really good. It's like what I said earlier of wanting to watch Cassidy the whole time. Right. Like he's he's always got something going on. Yes. So. And then we'll come back to that. Yes, too we will. This episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, the bullet burning Jesse's hand. Do you is is that a detail in the comic at all? Do you know? Not from what I remember. Okay. I th- I and I don't know if it's just trying to say that the bullets are supernatural. Essentially, I was wondering if it's kind of like a like a holy water kind of situation, yeah. or like holy artifact, and because he's got Genesis in him, it, it's it reacts to poorly it. to to the could be blessed bullets. But it seems weird to me that like the force from hell would be wielding holy weapons. Yeah, I of. don't. I wouldn't say that they're blessed bullets. I'd say yeah. if anything, they're cursed. Yeah. Okay. So that's fair. I think it might just be. Uh, yeah, I don't know. What she's uh, obviously, the Saint of Killers killed the Blanc, so right. it could be hurting Genesis too. As yeah, well, that yeah, that's true. Thing. Like, there's something even <laughs> extra supernatural happening yeah. to that. So, um, trying to think of any other thoughts here. Uh, Tulip misses the radio report about Anvil. Yeah, they the keep somehow here. missing out on this. They, they keep missing out on it in the first episode. So, so it's just kind of you keep thinking like, what's going to happen? Are they going to want to wheel up and turn around? Like, what, mm-hmm. what effect is it going to have on them? And we can we can talk more about that later. Um, and then other than that, the uh, the Saint of Killers ripping that tongue out, pretty gross. Uh, also, kind of, I mean, obviously unnecessary, but in the in the book he doesn't really go out of his way to kill anybody that's not in his way yeah so it's a little they're they're kind of adding a new layer of like murder to him that he doesn't necessarily have in the book he's got he's got he seems to have more malice in him yes and in the book i mean he'll definitely kill whoever yeah that's not what's in question but this guy was just like a poor old man sweeping the sidewalk and i wanted to kind of ask you about that we see the poor old man struggle with telling like the Saint of Killers asks him, "Where did they? Where did he go?" And I, the the struggle that's on the the gas attendant's face is kind of like I was wondering: Does it mean that he knows, but he's been told to for, or or pretend that they're not? Because Jesse tells him, "Pretend that we're not here." Yeah. 
So do you think that means that the gas attendant knows and is trying to fight against the fact that he can't physically tell? I think so, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it's not like he erased his memory. He didn't say, forget we were here. Or did he? No, he said, pretend we we were never here, I think is his precise wording for that that scene so yeah i I think i mean he knows but so so maybe because of that maybe that is enough to make the saint be like well i'm gonna do some damage to you because you're not forthcoming with all the information right does he say i can't remember i can't tell you uh he he specifically says he wasn't here he just keeps saying he he says he wasn't here okay so yeah that the the rules and everything surrounding how the word is working in the show and how people react to it are we're still kind of finding our footing i yeah. think along with jesse uh, but that that does happen in the book where some characters want to do the thing that they've been told not to or they want to stop doing the thing they've been told to do yeah. but they can't yep. and it, it might show on their face that they're disgusted or horrified but they just keep doing it yeah uh the one other thing that i noted about that when the saint is approaching the gas station but we see the attendant or the owner kind of come out the sky gets all dark and we see the attendant he's just, he says ginger where'd you get to girl like he's seeing a horse or something like that you know i think he's looking for the cat the cat that that cassidy okay. killed that makes more sense i was almost thinking it was like the saint of killers presence is like bringing back old memories <laughs> of like dead animals or something like that but maybe <laughs> okay that, I mean, no. that is an old memory of a dead animal so <laughs> You're Fair right enough. on the money. Fair enough. Uh, any other thoughts on the gas station? Nope. All right. Act two, the gang pulls into a garage in Texas and meets the minister, Mike, Jesse's family friend. Mike helps his parishioners get their urges or, or uh, stop their urges by locking them in a cage in his garage, which Tulip and Cassidy seem to protest. Uh, but they ultimately kind of let it go for the most part. Um, Glenn Morshower, Good to see him. Yes. Uh, fun little role for him. Yeah. As like a perverted priest, essentially, a perverted man. I would not necessarily perverted, but... Just extreme. Ex- yeah, very, very <laughs> extreme, for sure. Um, extreme scholar, religious it, scholar. His, his quote is, parishioners need help with their urges. Drug, drugs, sex, Twitter. Yeah. Like that, that to me. And the girl's just like, I'm on Instagram. <laughs> it was funny. It was very... It was very on the nose. Yeah. Like it was very blatant, like exactly who they're making fun of, yep. and which is pretty much everybody in some <laughs> regard now, but yeah. they, they're going pretty hard for a certain demographic, and mm-hmm. I was like, I'll allow it. I, I laughed, and I was like, I get it. I mean, it, it's Preacher. They haven't yeah. shied away from attacking anybody really yet. Uh, we do get a little bit of Cassidy trying to talk to Tulip about his feelings and kind of like, a, you know, I feel this way. I feel bad about it because i haven't told jesse i can't remember does is this relate does this relationship exist in the comic books at least at this stage uh like is there kind of a triangle going on or no in the beginning i would rather not get into it for your okay. for your sake All right. that's fair enough we, we tell you what, put a pin in that. Let's okay, revisit yeah, we'll that question later in the season. All right, we'll see where it good. goes in the show. And that, and and that was just kind of a like I I couldn't necessarily remember if if that was too much of an element. I don't know if we've had previous discussions about it. I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> 
But um, write in and tell us about our own show. <laughs> yeah, please. Did we, did we Historians of Gone to Texas, please yes. let us know. Extreme Gone to Texas scholars. Uh, but yeah, that was really all that happened in that short act. But then when we come back in Act Three, Jesse tells Mike about what happened in Anvil. You know, God leaving heaven, Jesse getting Genesis. Mike claims to have no info about God's whereabouts, but later he tells Jesse he reconsidered a parishioner's story about God walking into her quote-unquote dance hall now that he's heard Jesse's stories. Uh, And that means the gang heads over to this dance hall, which turns out to be a strip joint as the Santa Killers arrives to find out where the preacher is uh, from Mike, but Mike will not tell him and ends up killing himself before the Santa Killers can compel him to tell. Yes. Um, so interesting to me, like, I, I remember one of the things that I was thinking as I walk into this season is like, what is, what are, what are normally religious people? Cause I don't feel like there were many of those in Anvil. What would normally religious people, not that Mike is one of them, I suppose, but he's closer to it. What would they feel about the news that Jesse discovered? that God isn't there. And and we see Mike kind of be like, well, that makes sense to me because I haven't been hearing him since I've been praying in, in, in the recent weeks or months or however he says, which is pretty much how Eugene reacts too, right? Yeah. Eugene, Eugene has a, says Eugene the same absolutely thing. says I, I'm not hearing God anymore yeah. when I pray. Um, so I, <laughs> I think if I were, if I felt the way about most religious people, the way that Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg do and uh, Garth Ennis, uh, my reaction, what what their reaction would be, would they would probably deny it and say it's not true. Yeah. And they would probably deny it until they were blue in the face. And that's kind of what I was thinking Mike would do, but uh, it was interesting to see him not head that way. We didn't we well, didn't really get a whole lot of that because once everybody in Anvil's there to see that God's not in heaven anymore, they all start doing terribly deplorable things. And Yeah, which... Uh, kind of mirrors what Fior's up to as well. Interestingly yeah. enough, I think that if people were told definitively and, and shown in a way that was irrefutable that God was not in heaven, I think the immediate reaction would be panic and yeah. despair. And then whatever actions you take after that are a result of that panic. Yeah. Uh, except for... You know, people like Mike, who, and probably people in life who get the most out of religion are probably people who have kind of an open mind about yeah. it and who maybe know not to just take it at face value, but to really examine it and, mm-hmm. and continuously think about how they feel and how it is working in their life. I think that they might react with a little more rationale, but I think most of the people in Anvil they only go to church because they think they have to mm-hmm. or because the, the God obligation. is... Yes, and because God is angry. And if they find out God's not there, they're like, well, shit, he doesn't care. I can do whatever I, I want. Care. Exactly. Whereas someone who is more in tune or genuinely in tune with their with religion would probably try to figure out some way to help. Kind of like, like Jesse wants to do. Like yeah. Jesse's initial goal is to figure out what's the matter. And... I think he concludes season one pretty much by saying, if we can't help him or if he won't let us help him, then we kick, his, kick ass. his ass. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Whereas in the book, that's not his goal. His goal is just to kick his ass and make him explain why he's why he bailed in the first place. Yeah. He doesn't care what's wrong. You're God. It's up to you to fix it is kind of his <laughs> stance. And I'm going to, you know, beat your ass and send you back up there to, to make it right. Yeah. Yeah. And... It, 
Mike's reaction is kind of like a almost a like I feel like there are some people that would be like, well, God does exist then. Like if he's not there, then he's a real thing and it kind of validates. That's true. As well. So it's it's kind of interesting to see how different people are taking that news. One of the quotes that I really enjoyed was from Mike. He said, do you ever consider if the good Lord's gone missing, then maybe he has a reason. Yes. It's just kind of like a, it's it's piquing my interest in the mystery again. Like why yes. did God leave? And I think someone says that to him in the book as well. Yeah. I think, oh man, I wish I could remember. But I know that Jesse's reaction would just be, I don't give a good shit what the reason is. Mm-hmm. You got you got some explaining to do. Yeah. Uh, and the Santa Killer's killing Mike. More death from the Santa Killers. Yeah. And again, I, it's a little, I don't want to say it's unmotivated, but it just feels a little out of character. I feel like he'd be like, I'm not going to tell you. He would just shoot him in the head and walk away. Like he wouldn't yeah. be like, I can make you tell me like, is he going to torture him? I mean, I, and I don't remember, I, this is bad that I actually don't remember this, but it's one of those little details. I don't remember how the Saint of Killers finds him in the books, but I don't think it's from following the word. I think he just always knows where he's at. Like yeah. I think he's always attuned to him and he's just following him on foot. Yes. Oh yeah. On <laughs> foot. And so there are, there will, there will be these huge lapses in time. I mean, huge relative in, in the time of the book, but where they'll go without seeing him. And then you'll, you'll see a panel of him or something still walking and you're like, Oh God. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then maybe a few issues later he'll, he'll roll up and it's always at like a really inconvenient time. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> oh, it's great. I'm telling you, it is so good. Whenever you feel, you'll feel it, you'll be like, oh man, this would be a great time or a terrible time for the saint to <laughs> arrive. And then he does. And you're like, oh God, he caught him again. That's so, wonderful. I feel like he just wouldn't waste time. Yeah. And maybe he's just not as powerful in a way where he can just, he's attuned to him where he needs to follow a trail. Hmm. I don't know. Well, what to say? It doesn't bother me that much. It just feels a little like I, I did. In a way, like kind of like I mentioned before, they shouldn't worry about humanizing him. But by giving him these limitations, they kind of are. I mean, he should literally be unstoppable. Yeah. And like you can't, you can't stop him. Like right now, Jesse could be like, "Oh, I'm going to stop using the word," and you could effectively stop him. Like he won't be able to find you, and that shouldn't be the case necessarily. Yeah, I mean that's pretty worrisome to me, especially because I can feel like there's situations that might arise later where Jesse does use the word. Not only is it limiting when Jesse can use the word, but it also means that if the first time that he uses the word and the saint doesn't show up, well, that's they're the breaking their own rules. He kind can't. Of. He can't teleport there. He's yeah. He, he does he have to walk. He can't there. teleport there. He does. He does have to just walk there essentially, which is like you know, getting GPS pings every ten days about where somebody is essentially. Right. So say Jesse goes a week without using it, and meanwhile they just drive. What's this thing going to do? Is he just going to like well? Last he was here, so I guess I'm just going to hunker down here. And that's the thing. It's like I never feel like the saint would just hunker down. He's probably just constantly on the move, right. moving in the general direction that he thinks Jesse's going. That's, that's what I think is so sweet about it in the comics is like he will always head towards you. Like, yep. And you just you just got to try to get some sleep and know that he's just moseying on towards you. <laughs> yeah. I like that more. but and And I feel like the show is still kind of portraying that in a way, but... Maybe maybe we'll get to something later where it do, it turns out that the word is not the only thing that yeah well we'll talk about that more in episode <laughs> yep. two yeah. yep 
All right. Uh, act four, we get the gang rolling into the strip club uh, to talk to Mike's parishioner, Tammy, who manages the club. She confirms that God came in, but really only to listen to the music. Tammy gets killed by her security guard as he's tussling with Cassidy and the gang leave. Uh, <laughs> we get to see that whole Cassidy thing unfold on the cameras behind them. Yes. Which is a beautiful little touch. <laughs> it's great. It's distracting, yeah. but it's good. Yeah. I, I was I found myself being torn between my desire to watch the <laughs> monitors and watch the rest of the scene. This is my favorite scene of episode one. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. And I like... Uh, I'm trying to think of how to put this... Uh, I like when the show gets into these little vignettes of like character moment. And I really, really like, cause you, you feel it. It's like this tonal shift in the show. It's kind of almost like, uh, it's kind of almost like the scene in drive when he gets in the elevator with her mm-hmm. and the guy who's there to kill them gets in the elevator too. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yep. And he turns to her as like a distraction and the lights in the elevator actually dim as like the moment gets a little more intimate. Yeah. That moment, blew my mind in the theater i thought that was such a cool touch and it doesn't make any sense like that didn't happen but it did to them and i think that that's such a cool way to dial you more even more into a moment and pay more attention like something changed Mm -hmm. and the show almost feels like it does that in this scene and you know everything kind of the the tone shifts for a second demeanor changes yeah and and the whole thing kind of realigns and and it it breaks away from the kind of bombastic nature of the show for the most part. And even though on the monitors in the background, <laughs> there's this, there's this hilarity ensuing. I still was really, really wanted to watch Jesse and Tulip's reactions to what this woman's telling me. Yeah. Because even she kind of shifts into this, into this place. And it's kind of like when you're talking to somebody in real life and, and they're telling you a story and they kind of transport themselves back there. Yep. And you can tell that they remember how exactly how they were in that moment. And something kind of shifts in them. And that's exactly what happened here. And I just was, absolutely enamored with it i loved her performance i loved dominic cooper and ruth nega's reactions those two are so good yeah by the way. i can't ex- i mean i feel like we're gonna heap a ton of praise on joe gilgan and and absolutely yeah but I, they can't be overshadowed mm-hmm. they're so good and the way they react to her is really great but that that scene was so compelling it was i almost immediately wanted to go back and watch it again because it was just so cool to watch how when you finally start talking about god everything kind of changes and i think that's exactly how it should be whenever there's a character who did actually cross paths with him or whenever if ever he does actually show up on the show uh the scene should shift as it does in the books like when stuff like that happens like it just everything should kind of change yeah yeah and i thought it was kind of interesting i think and i might be misremembering this but they come in to talk to tammy about god and at first she's kind of uh shy about and she doesn't she kind of plays it off a little right, bit. Right, yeah. She doesn't want to talk about it. I think she actually denies it twice until getting that third time where she finally comes through, which is kind of an, like a little bit of a biblical callback <laughs> yeah. in, 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 in ways of, of Peter's denial yes. of Jesus. But um, yeah, just the, the her entire thing, it, it really kind of makes you like they're adding this thick layer of fog over God. Not that he needs any more fog, but they're certainly kind of like building the preacher universe's God in a way that feels like very much like he's a character in the story and not just a uh, an overall power, like right? An omniscient, omnipotent being, yes, 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 which yes. is which is awesome, and and it makes me feel like one day, you know, 
Colin Salmon's going to walk up as God. I don't know who it's going to be. <laughs> like, Colin <laughs> Salmon. It could, it, could, I, it could be anybody, really. But oh, I, And man. I would wonder who it would be. Like that, uh, that. <laughs> Now I really want to see Colin Salmon roll up as God. <laughs> I don't actually want to so, see that. So we can, we can, we can dreamcast a God, God later on. Well, but, um, spoilers for the book. Yeah. That aren't really spoilers. He does, he does show up. Mm-hmm. And... Initially, it's not even his face, and it's 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 so good, it's so <laughs> awesome. But just it'll just be like his arm in the panel, like pointing at somebody, and it's really awesome. But whenever he's illustrated in the book, it is very striking, yeah. and it is kind of that vision of what God would look like, sort of, but even more turned up to eleven, like, like that, like the illustrated Bible, like those kinds of like old artistic. It is, but and he is, he's, I mean. It, the portrayal of God has always been human, essentially. Yeah. And it is kind of, but more so. But the, the scene, like I said, just changes when he's there. Even if it's just his arm in the scene or he's off panel talking to a character, it's like the sun just materialized in the room. Like, it's <laughs> crazy. And it's like everything stops and everyone stops and turns because you're looking on God. And her reaction in the story is in her her reaction as she's telling the story is wholly appropriate because how as a human being do you put that into words that experience of standing before god and talking to him or like and how do you know that's what i'm curious she doesn't describe him and so it it almost makes it seem like he walked in and she was the only one who knew it was him you know what i mean yeah which is really interesting because that's not what i would have expected so he's he seems to be in some sort of human guise which is uh which is interesting too but i i loved loved that scene yeah and i loved the uh what she says about he just he came for the jazz he wasn't here for a girl i guess does that come well that was in the same no scene. That, that's in the yeah same they, scene, they right? theorized that god fell in love with a with a stripper which is hilarious yeah like, come on <laughs> he's not fior he's not one of the angels <laughs> yeah which in the books the angels just descend into pure debauchery mm-hmm. and which is kind of what happens in the show but it, that was too i was like no way that's too simple and stupid and sure, she's like, he came for the jazz. And I was like, oh, <laughs> what an awesome line. That's so good. That's so it's preacher. pretty awesome. That's like preacher is uh, so inherently about this, these big, broad, like just themes of like America. Like, and, and a lot of people have said that preacher was written as like a satire. Yeah. And like kind of almost making fun of America, that idea, that John Wayne idea of America. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's true. And maybe Garth Ennis and Steve Dillon have gone on record to say that, but I don't really subscribe to that because it's handled with so much love mm-hmm. that I think they kind of believe in it themselves. And it's one of those things where it's easy to make fun of. Like it's easy to make fun of people that go, well, America is the greatest country in the world. Yeah. But I think as an American, it's kind of instilled in you a bit to kind of feel that way. And at times you can kind of genuinely feel that way. And you do go on that journey with Jesse a lot throughout the book where he just talks about why America is the greatest country in the world. And a lot of times you can't help but agree with him. Yeah. You're like, he's like, you know, Oh, I could just get in my truck and just drive West for a thousand miles and stop in the middle of nowhere and have a beer and watch the sunset. Yeah, you can do that. You can do that in other parts of the world too, but there's something special about it. <laughs> I think when you, especially when you're in the American West, you know, yeah. that it's been so heavily romanticized, which is great. I, I love westerns, and that maybe that's part of why I like preacher so much. But uh, I, the scene and, and the notion that God came for the jazz is another one of those big, like, very romantic ideas of what God would want to do on Earth. And I just like totally 
love that. <laughs> love that idea. That's cool. Because what else what else would God be interested in on earth? Yeah. Like I you don't really know why he's here yet. It's almost like the jazz thing. Like you could, I feel like I can envision a scene where, where they talk about this and God's basically just like, that's the one thing that I didn't anticipate (laughs) essentially like, like him being interested in it because it's not his own vision. Exactly. Yeah. Which is fantastic. That was the note I had where it reminded me a lot, not to necessarily jump into another comic for comparison, but it reminded me a lot of Dr. Manhattan. Oh, in Watchmen when he realizes again why humans are special. Yeah. When he realizes that the unlikely coupling of the comedian and the original Silk Spectre resulted in uh, Lori, mm-hmm. who he loves, and he realizes that of all the possible combinations of all of the millions of endless DNA sequences that could have been, she was the one that happened. Yeah. And she happened and had a meaningful impact on him. And then he realizes the miracle of creation and chance and yeah. random and suddenly his 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 faith in saving humans has been restored that is one of the few scenes that is better in the Watchmen movie than it is in the book and it's amazing in the movie mm-hmm. and it's all because of billy crudup so shout out to billy crudup oh, star yeah. of alien covenant and <laughs> uh, almost famous which also stars noah taylor <laughs> who is in this show later yes. apparently and it reminded me of that because i think like you said God, uh, actually also in Watchmen, Dr. Manhattan, when he's, uh, in the final kind of conflict, he he has a line to the villain where he says, I, I almost forgot the excitement of not knowing or the anticipation of not knowing what was going to happen. Yeah. And I think that that's pretty much like you said, what God would see in jazz. Well, and to touch on our own cultural touchstone that we keep, uh, that is lifted my my belief in this is apparently unknowingly lifted from tron legacy it's flynn with the isos saying it's biodigital jazz yep, man. yep 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 that's that's exactly what it is so that's that's a very enticing thing exactly and for and it's it's great in tron legacy because you have this guy who's this incredible programmer and coder and creator who can create these amazingly complex beings and yet when something manifests itself out of nowhere and it's jazz essentially uh what a wonder that must be to behold. Yeah. And it's the one thing God can't really account for. And I think a lot of what preacher is about and a lot of how the angels feel and a lot of probably how God feels is that humans are kind of a failure. Like we're yeah. a, we're a blown experiment. It's kind of also kind of like Prometheus and, and alien covenant. If you want to go into that world. Yeah. But like we, we were kind of a mess and we squandered our gift and our potential and we've been reduced to, you know, if you take the denizens of Anvil, for example, <laughs> just just waste. Yeah. And to think that God would come down and he could, he could find the beauty in something humans created like jazz is just so, <laughs> so good. Yep. I hope we're right. <laughs> hey, and you know what? I don't... I don't care. <laughs> yeah, we found if, if we, they, fu- we found it. Yeah, if we were to get if we were to get a tweet from them saying so you guys are off, sorry, I'd be like, you know what? Doesn't matter though, because that's kind of that's really what I got out of that scene, and yeah. it, it made me feel better about our standing in the universe again. To think like, you know what? Because at the end of the day, we do create stuff, and mm-hmm. it's uh, even if your creation is terrible, which a lot of creations we reviewed on these previous shows have been. <laughs> It's still a creation. It's still something original or maybe a little derivative again in the, <laughs> in the case of a lot of those things. There's something about it. But though. yeah, just music and, and music is in its in a way like the ultimate kind of 
you know, people hear a song and it, it will, it will do a million things to a million different people. And that's yep. just the beauty of the universal language, which I is, is music and not math. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. But what a great scene. Absolutely. Loaded scene. Absolutely. For, for as throwaway as someone might've been like, yeah, she didn't tell him and she got shot. Yeah. I think there's so much going on in that scene and it was just masterful. Uh, the only other thing that I want to bring up is this is also kind of the, uh, the counterpoint to, Earlier, with Tulip saying that Genesis brings the fun out of everything, uh, she and Jesse argue about using Genesis to learn more about and like to to learn from the lady what God was there for, and uh, and so this is where the actual moral part of it comes in. Her being like it's it's an invasion of my will and and body essentially, and and I think I want I'm wondering how more and more that will come to play in the season. I even started writing out some of the questions that I thought we would have at the end of these two episodes. And one of them gets answered in season two or in episode two, essentially of when, why, why is Tulip, uh, will Tulip always be morally opposed to the use of Genesis? And we get a, an early mention in the, in the second episode that we'll get to shortly. But, uh, any other thoughts? No. All right. Act five, the gang rolls into the relax in for the night. Jesse and Tulip work out their frustrations so to speak, as Cassidy sees a familiar face playing the amazing Ganesh on the television show, uh, <laughs> on the television commercial at the Mumbai Sky Tower. Uh, we didn't see who it was at that point in time. Jesse steps outside to have a smoke and sees the saint of killers approaching him, and Jesse attempts to use Genesis to get him to stop, but it doesn't work, and the saint pulls a gun on him. And that's the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. Um... I guess there's not a whole lot to get into, especially seeing as we're going to pretty much move right into the second episode. But uh, did you know who the the amazing Ganesh was going into it? No. No? Okay. I managed to see him in a in a trailer that made me realize it was going to be him. Okay. But you also get a little bit of a profile of his face on the, on the commercial as well when gotcha. Jesse's watching it. I think I saw a tweet later. Uh, I watched episode two a little bit later. I think I saw a tweet from Preacher that showed him in the outfit, yeah. and I was like, "That's weird." <laughs> and I didn't, <laughs> didn't I didn't put it, two. Yeah, yeah no. So, um, no. I get. I forgot to mention while they're in the strip club, uh, Tulip ducks another Anvil mention as well. Yep. Uh, but we'll, we'll get some more about that. Any final thoughts about that first episode? I don't know if we need to stop here to recap or, or kind of clear anything out a little bit, but. Uh, the scene in the hotel with Jesse and Tulip, this is the first time that it's pretty much a, like, we are re-entering our relationship, right? Yeah, it seems like the first time that, like, Tulip's not pissed at him for staying in Anvil anymore, right. and they're on the road, and so that's, it, it seems, it, even the way that it goes down of, like, Tulip literally playing hard to get yeah. with locking a door... <laughs> Is interesting not only because that's kind of like ridiculous of beat a door down to come to me, but it makes sense for Tulip. But also, Jesse. It makes sense for Jesse. Well, but yeah, that's true. But Jesse's. uh, Jesse could just use the word to get her to unlock the door, but he chooses not to, essentially, which is also kind of a good thing of like. He did it to her in the finale of last season. She slapped him and is like, never do that to me again. And he's listening, at least for now. So it was a very good encapsulation of the Jesse Tulip relationship where yeah. Jesse will 
will break down doors to get to her. <laughs> Punch the, a door with his bare hands. Yes, it was it very collapses. good. I was actually like chuckling pretty yeah. much the entire time, which is not usually the reaction you get out of like a sex scene, but mm-hmm. it's the amount of sex they have in the comic is ludicrous. And it's <laughs> it's hilarious. And it's very much like a staple of their relationship that they just Jesse is just a he's just a passionate guy yep. and his love for her is without equal. And so it was very, it was very cool to watch him, to watch that scene of him like punching that, yeah, punching the door down. <laughs> yeah. It was great. Yeah. I was like, this is very good. And uh, it was sweet. I liked, I liked her kind of laughing at it and mm-hmm. had that smile creeping across her face from the other side of that door because she's like, I got him back. And it, it's <laughs> yeah. great. I, I really liked it. I was yeah. very, I was happy for them in that moment. It was very cool. Um, the only other thing that I wanted to bring up was the Santa killers walking underneath the streetlights. Oh, so good. It was awesome. Awesome. <laughs> it reminded me of, this is so weird because it couldn't be the more opposite, but there's this really awesome camera test online. Uh, they did a test with a Phantom, which is like a... Uh, 10,000 frames per second. Incredibly high-speed camera. Yep. They did one where they rigged a... Uh, <clears throat> they rigged a Phantom to like a dolly track that runs parallel to this like long field. Yeah. And they rigged lights every like, we'll say like 15... 20 feet like that looking straight down and then they put a camera at the far end i think it was another phantom uh just at the end so it was facing straight down the line so to speak yeah and they actually they have a cheetah like a like a captive cheetah and they loose it and the the dolly it's like a auto it's like a roboticized dolly with the camera it moves along the course that the cheetah runs at the same speed so it's moving parallel to the cheetah yeah and there's the camera at the far end the cheetah is essentially running towards and this cheetah run, they shot it like at night or in the evening. So they have all these lights positioned like that. And it reminded me a lot of that for some reason, because the awesome. cheetah just runs in and out of these lights at like thousands of frames a second. And you can <laughs> see every muscle and every sinew every in, ripple, this, yeah. in this cheetah. And it's unbelievable. But it's from when they cut to the far camera, it's really cool because it's essentially the same effect. You see it dipping in and out of these lights and you're thinking that thing's running at like 70 miles an hour and they're able to capture it. That sounds it's, awesome. It's really cool. I would recommend looking it up. Very cool. But, uh, the Santa Killers is the opposite of a cheetah in that he can't be stopped and he's very slow. And for some reason, it still reminded me of it, though. I, I just in that moment, I was like, man, this reminds me of the camera test. It's yeah. Cool. But it's a really cool shot. It also kind of reminded me of Road to Perdition. Uh, have you seen Road to Perdition? Yeah, a long time ago, though. But the um, which part? The It's the part where Tom Hanks catches up to Paul Newman. Okay. Do you know what scene I'm talking about? It's like okay, it's I in the rain. I can't remember exactly. Okay. I do remember the rain. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not at all the same effect, but for some reason it reminded me of it. I don't know why. But that that kind of high key like overhead lighting is really, really cool and really yeah. moody. And watching him come in and out of those street lights was just really neat. Although part, part of me was like, I feel like I've never seen a street where street lights are that close together. And there's that many and of there's them. There's that many of them. And they're that bright. In like Texas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good points all. But it was very cool. Uh, for a wrap up on that first episode, uh, you texted me and you and Lance watched the, the first episode together. You said we both audibly gasped at one point yes. as a reference to events that are yet to come. Can you, can you give me just the least <laughs> spoilery what part you were talking oh, yeah. about? Yeah. Uh, and you probably didn't even uh, read into it or it might have just sailed past Absolutely. Me, even, though, even though they draw pretty clear attention to it, when Jesse is... At Mike's house. Oh, I did. So there's. Uh, all right. Yeah, I totally forgot to talk about this. But the tulips looking at the f- the 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 book of photos, 
and we see her talking about is this am i headed in the right direction go on so tulip's looking at photos of uh mike turned out to be the efficient or whatever at jesse's parents yes uh um jesse's parents wedding yeah and so the uh key and tulip and cassie talk about it a little bit but um one of the questions that i came out of it was uh cassie's like there's not much family there and jesse's like well there wasn't a whole lot of family on my father's side and my mother's side wasn't invited mm-hmm. so one of my questions was why weren't the langelles invited to jesse's wedding you are on the right track yeah however it goes deeper than that okay and i wish I could remember the question that somebody asks about maybe that is the question maybe Jesse says I think no, somebody asked him a question and it's a shot of Jesse and he's on the left side of the frame and the fish tank is behind him okay and you see somebody asks the question I oh my god I'm kicking myself for not going back and rewatching it <laughs> to, to to hear what it was but you see Jesse thinking about the question and he either gives no answer or a very brief answer but in the background you see in the aquarium, you see the little the little treasure chest that's always in aquariums. Yeah. You see it's lid open and like the bubbles come out and it makes like a horrible sound. That's the reference. <laughs> and Lance and I both looked at each other and went, ooh, and like made this crazy so sound. So is it the treasure chest itself or is it the question too? It's it a both? bit it's a bit of both. Okay. It's All right. it's kind of everything in that moment. And and it's such it's such a blatant reference that it's almost comical <laughs> because the camera even like rack focuses to the fish tank, I think. Interesting. And if you know, you know, and you you made a noise also. Don't lie. <laughs> Any listeners out there who have read the book, you made a sound and it's okay. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's, I can't wait. I just can't wait for more. Like that's the thing. We're in we're in the books now, but we're still not like they've already just gone and like made a left turn yeah. and, and they're detouring already to see the world's biggest ball of yarn. Like <laughs> they've already got their eyes caught by some other attraction and they're heading that way. So there's there's an arc that happens so early and I've already made reference to it and it's just so awesome and and important to you understanding Jesse that they just need to get to it. Interesting. But the the uh, the the questions you pointed out and the photo album yeah. and all that those are direct references to that yes okay the, and that, my 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 kind of inkling here and you don't have to react I'm not even going to look at you when I say this is that I'm wondering if the Langelles are connected to that tattoo on Jesse's back and maybe the people that might have been there when John was uh, don't was, look at me was murdered but uh, yeah so you looked at me I did you probably regret <laughs> it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh but yeah no uh first episode you're doing you're being a good you're being a good watcher you're watching the show and you're paying attention to the right details it's the honestly breaking bad and better call saul and westworld have all trained me to to know that the devil's in the details to know that the devil's yeah. in the details for sure and a lot of the, and, and with the new format that i'm doing here where i'm just writing a couple sentences to sum up that act break i i'm i'm missing some of the things but i'm glad that you called me back to that that photo album because I did yes. write notes about it for yes. sure. Yep, that was that was important, and I'm really glad we went back to it because it would have been it would this would this would not have been a good episode had we glossed over that. Very true. Oh boy, I got to rethink this whole new format. <laughs> I'm just I'll figure it out. I'll figure it. Out. I just got to get back into the swing. Of I I didn't look at my notes either, and that's my fault because I did have that in my notes. Okay. Uh, so yeah, episode one. I think that's about it. Unless you have anything else. Nope, I'm good. Your notes. All right. Episode two, Mumbai Sky Tower. Uh, the teaser opens up with the Saint of Killers rolling up to the Relax Inn to kill Jesse, but he's met with several difficulties. Uh, essentially, 
it comes down to the gun enthusiast club that is there. Start uh, Jesse uses them to, yeah, to fight so against the Saint of Killers. During the gunfight that ensues, the, the gang learns that Anvil has exploded in a TV news report, and they try to take time to reminisce, or not reminisce, but just process it. But they end up uh, getting interrupted by the gunfight that's ensuing, and they try to hide in a vending room. An unhappy patron draws attention towards them. Jesse uses Genesis to quiet him, but it appears that the Saint of Killers knows when Genesis is being used. And uh, the crew escapes via window in the room and speed off into the night as the Saint of Killers yells in frustration. Uh, yeah, more Saint of Killers action. Yep. The the. I was wondering if you could comment on a little bit the idea of that. So so. We're at the end of the first episode. That same situation. Jesse standing there, plain as day in the middle of the night. With the Saint of Killers on the <laughs> other end of him, and we've seen this guy shoot people from this far away. Yes, the idea that a truck suddenly pulls in front of Jesse, uh, kind of struck me in a sense of like divine intervention. Did you feel that way at all? Like it, like it, it feels like that truck comes out of nowhere. Obviously, it's kind of one of those things where, like, uh, you want to be tricked by the car crash that's happening in the show. Almost. Mm-hmm. What What did you feel about that? Uh, I didn't read too much into it. I think okay. it's. I would not say it's divine intervention per se. Yeah. Uh, maybe it is in this show. I thought it was more just dumb luck or not okay. not great writing. Uh, <laughs> had there been like a major intersection there, I would have bought it more. Yeah. Honestly, the thing that left me mum- more I almost said mumbied, <laughs> more bummed out about the that whole sequence was when the truck hits the scene of killers and pins him to the telephone pole. Yeah. And I was like, no, that wouldn't happen. <laughs> he just keeps going. Well, the truck would fold around <laughs> him like. He, he has. He just cuts the truck in half. He has some very noteworthy vehicular interaction in the book, and it's always awesome. And it's like running into a building. Like he will not move. Interesting. And it's awesome. And so as soon as that truck was going for him, I was like, "Here we go!" And then instead, <laughs> it like moved him back a few feet and pinned him to the pole briefly. I was like, "Oh, that's not yeah. what I want." And the scene I'm thinking of in particular. If it happens, I will lose my mind <laughs> because it's so cool. That's awesome. But he de- he's just not he's just not human in any regard in the book. Like he yeah. just things that you would instinctively try to throw at someone like that, they try and they just have hilariously no effect. Speaking of that, the <laughs> so the gun enthusiasts run out. There's obviously tons of guns shooting at him. They're doing nothing. They're disintegrating on his chest essentially, and then the girl fires a grenade at him. <laughs> explodes and they all like sing in triumph and some of the quotes that i caught were what can't guns do and (laughs) another problem solved by guns (laughs) which i just felt was did trey Trey parker guessed right this episode (laughs) potentially yeah they just yeah no that's hilarious though that's that's like grand theft auto (laughs) five ambient dialogue yeah for sure that's great but then uh, the, then the he smoke like, clears and he like flexes and all these bullets fall off of him yep. and hit the ground, which is which is cool. Yep, because that feels more accurate. They wouldn't pass through him. Nope, they would just flatten on him. Probably. Yeah, and that, it, yeah, like, like the, Superman. It, he, as he's getting hit by them, it just looks like a bunch of dust is flying off of him. Yeah. It's almost like the bullets disappear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was pretty good. And um, 
Yeah. Oh, there's such a good scene in the book, and I wish I wish so badly I could talk about it, but I just can't. <laughs> and it's not because it's a spoiler. It's just so unbelievably awesome that if it happens in the show, I don't want to ruin it for you. Yeah. And if it doesn't happen and you ever read the book, I want you to experience it experience as Experience it on my own, yeah. Because it is so incredible and the 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 one-liner that the saint throws out is just it's one of the top five like preacher quotes <laughs> it's so awesome that's great it's like people have to have tattoos of it somewhere because it's such a great line but this it kind of this scene kind of reminded me of some of those exchanges that he has later where like big mobs of randoms try to take him down yeah and they're always the most entertaining scenes in the book i hope that happens a lot more on the show where just like cannon fodder gets thrown at the santa killers and he just has his way with them it's awesome <laughs> And that's that'd be kind of funny now that you're saying that the idea that like there was, I mean they showed it in the in the first episode as well, but then Jesse seeing that it's the gun aficionados club happens to be at the hotel. Like if things like that keep popping up, that's pretty funny to me too. <laughs> like if there's a rule of threes there where we get another gun gun owners thing so at some point, it's I, like just a convention at a mall. Or something. <laughs> yeah, giant, there's like yeah, there's like three thousand people gun and knife show or yeah. something like that. Yeah, that'd oh, be pretty good. Oh, that'd be so good. <laughs> there is a good scene in the book where, uh, again, another slaughter is happening like that, and a character has a has like a knife, and they try to stab it on the scene killers, and it just breaks off on his face. Like the handle, <laughs> they go for his face. Yeah, and it just like literally shatters. It's so awesome. That's great. So yeah, we need more of that. I need I need the saint is awesome, and I'm not displeased, but I I want him to get to that level of just like there is absolutely no dealing with him. The only thing I'm, I'm, I am a little hazy on it. I asked Lance, and he couldn't remember either. I think in the comic, the word works on the Santa Killers. Ah, uh, interesting. I think it does. Hmm. And I could totally be wrong and just think that maybe, because he and Jesse have some conversations in the book, and I don't remember if the word works on him or if he just listens to him. Yeah. He, st- he stops killing everything for a second. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the Saints, the Saints ultimate goal is not to kill genesis or jesse it's to it's to find some level of redemption or revenge yeah for what happened yeah so in the book i think eventually jesse somehow learns re- about that and right and and tells him tries to, to use it against him sent, kind of. yeah yeah and i i don't remember if the word if he uses it to, to just tell him to stop and listen yeah because jesse custer is the kind of character where it wouldn't he wouldn't be satisfied like telling the saint to put his gun to his head and blow his own brains out. I think he'd be like, what's the matter with you? Why are you following me? He'd listen to the guy, hear his story, and then decide what to do. That's fair, yeah. So, I, And I could be wrong. I, I, I probably need to go reread it again before the season is over but mm. to brush up on some of that. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, anything else on, the, uh, on that teaser, opening teaser? No, the guy who wanted root beer was kind of funny. Yeah. And I also... With like, his arm blown. I up. liked that he was dissatisfied with ginger ale, and I was 1,000% Cassidy in that scene going, ginger ale is actually really good. As <laughs> I love ginger ale. I would have been me going, yeah. hey, man, Werner's over a any day. <laughs> for sure. Uh, I have such an unrivaled love for Werner's. It's so good. Werner's is beautiful. That's and if anybody so here does know what Werner's is, because it was mostly a Midwest thing for a long time. Yeah, largely some, a Michigan thing. Find, yeah, find some Werner's. Find some Verners. There's actually a Verners machine in Parks you and Recreation. You need to be like the Saint of Killers finding <laughs> a can of Verners. Track down some Verners <laughs> and then drink it as it is, mm-hmm. au natural, yep. chilled. But then, oof, what do you do next with it? You can mix it with like some whiskey if you want or 
blend it with some vanilla ice cream. Make yourself a Boston cooler. Boston coolers. And are. just make sure you're sitting down before you drink it because you're going to lose your mind. <laughs> it's so awesome. There's uh, a Verner's machine in Parks and Recreation. I forgot. And uh, we, we've been re- re-watching it, and I saw it in the background. I was like, that's a Verner's vending machine. It's beautiful. literally a vending machine with Verner's on the side. And I yeah. was like, oh, God, I want that in my house, <laughs> my basement. Whatever PA came up with that one is... Yeah, they know. They yeah. know the Midwest. They're like, what would what would what would be what in would Pawnee, Indianans Indiana. have a Verner's machine? Um, the one other thing I wanted to know that I just realized is that we didn't get the uh, title sequence for the show, which they didn't yeah. come in until a few a few episodes into season one, and maybe with this one, I don't know if they did it as a two part because they just couldn't edit down the pilot or something like that. Honestly, I don't miss it. I'm fine without it. Yeah, it, it's really kind of largely unimportant, but I just thought it was interesting that maybe they've abandoned it. I again. like just the big preacher words, and that's yeah. it. Like, just yep. move on. That kind of overlays yeah, on the scene. Happening. It's really cool. Yeah, that's good enough. Let's stick to that, guys. Yep. Uh, act one, Cassidy reveals the whereabouts of Fiore from his commercial from the commercial as the amazing Ganesh. And following the events of season one, Fiore, uh, they flash back essentially showing Fiore trying to kill himself, but he can't die because he reinvigorates as an angel. So he constructs a Vegas slash casino act where he kills himself for the pleasure of others, essentially almost like a magic show. Yes. Uh, some good uh, cultural uh, references by Cassidy here in terms of being, <laughs> he's like, this cowboy is one of three things. He's either the Terminator from Terminator 1, ter- uh, the Terminator from Terminator 2, or uh, Nazgul, a fell rider from, <laughs> from Lord of the Rings, yep. which I, I enjoyed those pretty pretty well, especially because it comes to the point where he's like, oh, I have somebody that's going to help us. And then Jesse's like, if you say Gandalf, I'm going to hit you. I like that. It was good. And I actually had in my notes before that scene that I was reminded of Terminator 1 during the the motel sequence because yeah. there's a scene where the Terminator comes to the motel. Yep. And uh, it did remind me a lot of that. That's awesome. And it's, uh, yeah. yeah, maybe that's why, I mean, I love the original Terminator. I love I loved Terminator 2 as well. But Terminator 1, for some reason, is my favorite. Yeah. Even though, objectively, 2 is the better movie. Uh but maybe that's why I like the scene. I think just that idea of that unstoppable force yeah. is really compelling. It's, Even though it's yeah. so boring. It should be really boring, but they find a way to just make it so interesting. It's uh, it, something about that character is just great. Absolutely. But yeah, that was a great... Uh, great little exchange. That was a great exchange. Cassidy's funny because in these in these scenarios, he doesn't necessarily have as much at stake because it's, it's debatable whether or not he can die. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, the Santa Killers could kill him. Yeah. He could plug in with a bullet and he'd, he'd go down. So I guess there is that. But he just has he has a different vibe on life, I think, than everybody yeah. else does. Yeah. He's so he can take the moment to reflect on which fictional character is he most like. And it's also funny to me that he tends to be the most culturally in tune of <laughs> of the group. He has wasted the most time of all the characters <laughs> in the show, yeah. yeah. He's watched the most movies while stoned. Which is, that's fantastic. Yeah, the Nazgul part was really funny. Mm-hmm. The fact that he called them by like Fell their, riders. Yes, exactly. <laughs> he knows. Like he's yes. read some Tolkien. Oh, he yeah. probably knew Tolkien. He knew Tolkien. Yeah. <laughs> he toked with Tolkien. Yes. Uh, there was, we did get a little shot of Fiora looking at a photo of him and DeBlanc, almost like they were together or a couple. Did you see that? Uh, yes. I think I talked about the Reddit theory last year where basically somebody was like, I think, cause you, you explained that in the book, uh, Genesis is the product of, product of an angel and a devil. Yes. 
But some people were thinking that Fiore and DeBlanc are the parents of Genesis in the show. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I don't think it's true. But it is interesting. But yeah. I, I And I guess it's not, you know, if they reveal that DeBlanc was actually a devil or something, like who, I don't know. I don't know who or why or how that would come up anymore now that yeah, by the end of this episode, Fiore's gone. But Yeah, it's interesting. I mean... They have a pretty odd relationship in the first season. I never would. I didn't really necessarily make any sort of romantic connection. Yeah. They just seemed like buds that are a little. They don't conform to our ideas of good friends because they're angels. Yeah. You know what I mean? They don't know things like shame or boundaries because they're <laughs> angels. And I think that a lot of. A lot of what happens to Fior in this episode and a lot of what he, what he chooses to do with his time uh, are representative of how an angel would feel on Earth. Yeah. And learning to feel what it is like to be human. So I, I guess I never really read into it in any sort of romantic sense, but I'm also carrying with me a little bit of what they are in the book, which is just like co-workers, essentially. Yeah. Who together uh, are on Earth and kind of get into just like this like spiral of debauchery mm-hmm. together. I think there's it's the two of them and there might be a third. No, I think it's just the two of them by the end. But uh so I never read into it in that regard and there's still a little bit of a weird grayness into exactly what it was in this episode. Yeah. Unless I just totally misread some dialogue later, but we'll talk about that I guess when yeah. when the conversation arises. Uh and we do get introduced to what the amazing Ganesh uh act is it's just he was at a lounge singer act and electrocuted himself and then popped up again because he reinvigorated yep uh which is that's pretty funny i i wonder I how i think about david copperfield dying on stage it's, it's basically the prestige apparently. yeah yeah exactly <laughs> except way lighter <laughs> i wonder how he's how, where what he's doing with all these bodies yeah and who in his camp is cool with just being like yeah just toss them all back <laughs> And he's it, when he's doing it initially. Is he multiplying all of his chips, or I I couldn't I didn't really necessarily know exactly if he was using that to get all of like I don't I couldn't tell at first I was like what is he after I'm like because I he comes back in the same clothes so I thought okay whatever he has on him does that duplicate so I thought is he did he win like five grand in chips and then he duplicates and turns it into ten and then twenty and then forty and then eighty like is he is he just trying to make more money but then i was like or is he literally he just keeps trying to kill himself hoping that it'll take i think i that to me that was the that was the thing is that he's so heartbroken about losing his friend that he's just trying to kill himself and then yeah and i think it's i mean his misery is twofold he's obviously lost his friend but he's he's essentially a fallen angel failed at at getting genesis yeah he's essentially like a failed angel fallen angel at this point he can't get back to heaven yeah he's stuck on earth and we know that the angels view Earth as pretty much a cesspool. They don't want to be here. Yeah. And he talks about that later. Yes, he does. Which we will also talk about. Later. <laughs> Keep getting ahead of ourselves. Um, but yeah, other than that, I don't know that there's too much else to talk about. The Ganesh act is funny because it's so grotesque. It's yeah. just like blatant gore and people are like, yay. Yeah, which is very um, Westworldy. <laughs> <laughs> Which is what I was thinking about, uh, the idea that people are, like, enjoying the death. Yeah, it's also kind of still in line with that Trey Parker sensibility that, yeah. like, oh, humans would just eat this up and not care yep. that, about what's happening. Yep. 
so then act two, the gang learns about the saint of killers from Fior, and Fior learns that God has left heaven, but he still will not turn the saint of killers off of Jesse because Genesis needs to die. Uh... And then also we get a little scene of Tulip and Jesse discussing the Anvil explosion uh, because it presumably killed her only family, which was her drunk uncle, Walter. And uh, because of this, Jesse ends up proposing to her. So, um, yeah, the the conversation between Fior and Cassidy and and Jesse, I think, is pretty good. We get this kind of... um, Fior essentially plainly tells him, I turned the Saint of Killers on you because Genesis needs to go. And Jesse obviously wants to put an end to that, but Fior's just like, no. He's like, I don't give a shit. Which that, the speech that builds up to, you know, he starts with, as an angel, I never knew uh, what of anything that, um, he, he's like, I only knew peace. All I knew was peace, yep. And then by the end of the, the conversation, he's like, but I don't give a shit about what you're doing now, <laughs> mm-hmm. which I thought was just a really beautiful, like it crescendos up to what you think is going to be this really meaningful <laughs> something at the end. And then he's like, I don't give a shit about you. Yeah, it is. It is meaningful in a way because it's. It's illustrating yeah. his fall. Yeah. And, and, you know, put yourself in any divine being's shoes in this world. Yep. Like part of the reason God leaves is potentially because he looks down at earth and is like, man, what a bummer this all is. Like I'm yeah. done. Wash my hands of it. I'm out of here. And I think that any angel from up there, they're probably like, yeah, whatever. Either they don't care. They're just ignorant. And they're like, whatever. We have the best life ever. I love it. Or any of them turn down and they're like, wow, that sucks down there. I never want to go down there. And whichever camp Fior belongs to, you know, to actually be sent down there and, and have to live among it is probably just like repulsive because all they want to do is get home. Yeah. And then to be trapped, I mean, he must he must just feel just so lost. And I, I like during a lot of that speech, it, it, is, it is starting out, it feels like it's going to be very meaningful, like you said, but for a moment there it is. And then finally he just concludes it with like, I just don't care. He doesn't care anymore. Yeah. And I think the only reason he's doing the Ganesh thing is because he has some sort of purpose. People seem to like him. But I, even that will wear thin, I'm sure, in time. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else that was important in that conversation in terms of the Santa Killers, but oh, it confirms to the to the team there that he that, can track them. Yeah, due due to the word. word yeah, yes. exactly. So I guess that. Um, but that's the big nugget they get out of that scene, other than that Fior is not going to help them. Yeah, uh, Fior not helping them leads to leads to. Cassidy being like, give me two hours and 45 minutes, which is pretty good. The way that the camera slides over to give him that timer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just back. really love. Yeah, it's it's, and a, his, it's his little face he makes after that. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. Uh, Tulip uh, kind of waxing poetic about about Walter was pretty. It was a good scene. It was a pretty interesting kind of like glimpse into her that she like even though walter was terrible the fact that he put any effort into her like into her made her feel special yep because it's something that she didn't get from anybody else essentially except for maybe jesse tulip's family life in the comic is very interesting yeah and it's uh they're i don't think they're gonna 
they're already doing it differently than they were there. But as far as like her relationship with her parents, it'll be interesting to see how that shakes down. But I did really like that scene. It was nice to get that little, that little layer. And again, Ruth Nega is just so good. She is fantastic. Yeah. I, I never would have imagined that, uh, Preacher by Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg would have Oscar nominated <laughs> actors yeah. involved in yep. it. And she's there. She's yep. she's one of the first ones. So that's awesome. I did uh Lance did say that while we were watching it. He's like, Oscar nominee. When she when she walked on screen, <laughs> I started laughing and I said, Did you see Loving? He goes, I loved loving. <laughs> and I was like, You were loving watching it? He goes, I loved every minute of loving. So Lance enjoyed it. You get an Beautiful. endorsement from endorsement from Lance. Um the only other thing that it, so basically when they're when they're laying in bed and they realize that anvil has exploded tulip kind of questions so what are we doing are we still going after god and jesse's just kind of like well yeah as far as i understand he just has another thing to answer for here the things he says the things that he has to answer for are piling up by the minute yep which you know that's that's a good notion i think for them to his renewed motivation to continue finding god um, it's pretty good. What did you think about the proposal? Uh, you know, I didn't really like it actually. Yeah. It seems a little early in the show. It was, it was, and it was one of those things where I immediately was like, this is just going to not happen for several reasons. Yeah, like it, exactly. You can call it for the bald faced plot stretching that it's kind of doing. Yeah. I didn't like that very much. Yeah. Uh, so in Act 3, Cassidy and Fiore go on a drug-fueled bender that seems to end with Fiore almost falling in love or being infatuated with Cassidy, yeah. which was great. And I think kind of leads lends a little bit of credence to the DeBlanc thing, almost yeah. like a little bit, but not like once again, it's mostly that Cassidy is building that special relationship with Fiore, mm-hmm. essentially. Uh, and then Tulip and Jesse get in line to get married when she spots a man named Gary, who she seems to know from her past. Um, I did note that there was a line here from Jesse. He says, it's not like we come from families with great marriages, kind of hearkening back to the photo book that they were looking at a little bit and, yep. and just that situation. Uh, Cassidy, all Cassidy's drugs laid out on the table, I thought was a, a great little uh, shot there. And one thing that I'm noticing that is really, uh, it's it's a little unfair to Preacher, but with the pedigree of Sam Catlin, um, some of the best stuff in Breaking Bad was their montages. Mm-hmm. Set to music, almost always completely dialogueless, like just fantastic. And I feel like this show tries to go on that level, especially with like the, the drug bender. And I don't think it quite hits it. I, I think they I think they aim for it, but they're not quite getting there for some reason. I don't necessarily know exactly what it is. Maybe it's just the um the efficiency with which those those montages worked in Breaking Bad, the idea that they want to show you something and get a point across of like Walter producing insane amounts of meth. Yeah. Like that whole kind of thing. I think um, I would love to see them apply that to Preacher, but I don't think they're quite getting there. I don't know. I don't know how you felt, felt about that. It's a little that's not necessarily a montage, but there was another point in the show. I think that reminded me of that. But. I don't. I can't immediately conjure up 
an instance in which a montage would be really beneficial to Preacher other than this kind of sequence. Yeah. I don't think we'll see a lot of them. And if we do, I'll be pretty surprised. I liked it. I mean, I thought it was fun. Yeah. It, but you are... <clears throat> what you're pointing out as far as like efficiency is, is an interesting notion because yes, this, this montage could have been a lot shorter and gotten the point across. Yeah. Like they got real stoned together <laughs> and bonded in some way. Got it. It did go on maybe a little bit too long, but I still kind of liked it. And I liked, I liked them showing you Cassidy kind of manipulating him and winning over his trust, even if it only took two hours and 45 minutes Yeah, and a lot of heroin. Too much heroin initially. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. That was but uh, I did like the bit where they're playing basketball and he asks like, he's kind of talking about the rules of the Santa killer just to kind of break the ice and he, and ease his way in. Cassidy would just be the best salesman basically because mm-hmm. he just works works him down into into his corner real quickly. But he's, he's like, you know, so what happens if you kill an angel? He's like, you lived in heaven. What happens if you kill an angel? And he says, that's the question, isn't it? And he's like, yeah, it is the question. And you're like, wow. He straight up doesn't know how <laughs> yeah. terrifying and yeah. like at the same time, how relatable. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> Absolutely. It's great. He's straight up. He even says later, like he, he hasn't met God. He's heard good things. <laughs> like, he doesn't really know. Mostly. And, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was good. It was a good, uh, it was a good line, a cool little moment of like clarity amidst the haze. And yeah. I liked watching the various activities they were doing. It was funny. Like playing Frisbee was cool. It was mm-hmm. photographed really neat with all the wide lenses. Yeah. And, and that, that's the thing is that I feel like they're using a lot of the visual flair that you would find in those Breaking Bad montages, yeah. but it's just not quite, uh, it's not as finely tuned as some of those. I got you. Uh, the next act is when we really get into Gary. So essentially we can talk, uh, act four, Jesse has an epiphany about how, uh, about God's love of jazz, but then also Tulip fights and kills Gary because she doesn't want to check in with a man named Victor. Does she kill him? You think? I think he's dead. Okay. It it, it seemed like it to me, especially with how incapacitated he seen. And with Cassidy dealing with the situation too, it seemed to me like, like he was probably dead. I'm glad that Cassidy's just the cleanup guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm not, in a way, actually. That was one of the few things I texted to Lance in between. I was like, was he, he was kind of talking about how they were having a lot more fun with the characters this season. Yeah. And I said, I can see that. And I said, right now, Cassidy feels like in-between guy. He's like telephone. And yeah. I was like, it's okay, but I, I'm just kind of waiting for a little bit more purpose for Cassidy, but it's okay for now. His role as like sidekick is, is about where he should be. So again, I'm just kind of getting ahead of myself. Yeah. I do like that. These two characters are both inconsiderate enough to just like dump it on Cassidy and say, castle fix it. Mm -hmm. Cause he doesn't matter. He's like the lackey. That's pretty, that's good for establishing both Cassidy's role, but also how the other two feel about him. Ultimately. Uh, I loved the use of like the, uh, like a red lobster line line yeah. holder coaster thing throughout the scene. I thought that was so funny that they have that. And I was like, oh, this is so, what a hilarious I, gadget. And then the I, way it goes up at the end of the scene, again, they're they're putting that clock on these scenes is yep. really, really cool. And the, the one thing that I noted about that that I was really surprised was not more prevalent was the idea that like, if you, if you look at that design, it's got this red heart at the bottom <laughs> that, has or at the top essentially that essentially looks like a pair of testicles yeah. if you were to flip it upside down yeah. and they made the entire back of it pink too yeah so it's a very phallic looking <laughs> object and the fact that seth rogan and evan goldberg probably thought of that detail and made it happen but then didn't 
call attention to it to me was maybe they're showing a little restraint. I don't know exactly what it was, but maybe they were just giggling enough <laughs> at the fact that that guy got beat to death with a giantly, with essentially a giant dildo, yep. like yeah, vibrating placeholder thing. Yeah, it was really yeah. I couldn't think of what to call it in my notes. Neither could I. I just always thought I thought of Red Lobster. It was like that's that's per- you know that's perfect. I called it the Chapel Censor and a few things, but yeah, no, that's the Chapel Censor sounds like a. <laughs> Cold War thriller, like a Lacar novel. Uh, Jesse's discussion with Frank Patel. I think that was Frank, right? The the lounge singer that. Yeah, yeah. That was an awesome scene. Yeah. Well, not only that, but also Frank Patel's performance in in the earlier scene with uh, with Fiore. I just I like the guy that at the Mumbai, uh, what is it called? The Mumbai Sky uh, Sky, Sky Tower. Tower. At the Mumbai Sky Tower, they've got their own uh, Indian Frank Sinatra there to to croon with at you. Yes. Um, but then the discussion of basically being like, you know, <clears throat> Sinatra was his voice was honey. Yeah. Is I, I thought it was that that was pretty good. Um, yeah, it was a good scene, and and again, that was very preacher. Just these these like nuts and bolts conversations about the simple shit, like. Elvis or Sinatra, you know, those kind of debates that people have in bars surrounded by clouds of cigarette smoke with like cool, moody lighting. Those types of things are very preacher. Mm -hmm. And so I really drank in that whole scene. I thought it was awesome. Uh, Also, are they allowed to show characters smoking on TV now? I don't really know. I thought that was illegal. I thought it was too, but... Because I I thought throughout pretty much the whole run of Mad Men, they couldn't show people smoking. They could show them putting out cigarettes. You can show them lighting them. But I didn't think you could actively show them smoking. And I was wondering that because Preacher, he is smoking all the time in the book. And I remember thinking like, wait, we see him outside the hotel putting one out. He like flicks it away. So I was like, I know you can you can get around it. But in that scene, he straight up just drags off of it. And then we see him exhale it. So I was like, did they lift the rules on this? Do they trust now parents to say I don't, I, yeah, smoking's you bad? You shouldn't be watching Preacher, son. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if it was just because I remember when that whole thing came about in like the 90s, essentially, it was the idea that Joe Cool, the, right. the co- cartoon camel was on TV smoking cigarettes and that would appeal to kids. Well, and like, yeah. And like the Marlboro man in general is always like this idea of this rugged, cool Coolness, guy yeah. Yeah, who just got done with a hard day and he's going to have a drag off his. Marlboro and everything's cool. I I don't know if that's explicitly like changed or if it's just because if I like looking even at this, I'm at parentstv.org. Cool. They have a thing called TV Stubs Out Smoking. Just the real quick log line here is by April 1970, Congress had passed the Public Health Cigarette Smoking Act, which banned the advertising of cigarettes on television and radio. The last cigarette commercial aired uh, on January 1st, 1971. Even then, however, characters on TV programs continued to smoke. Yeah, I thought at some point in the 2000s it was decided that they could not show a character actively smoking a cigarette. You could show them lighting one, and you could show them extinguishing one or holding one, but you couldn't show the act of inhaling the smoke. And then he straight up does. So it just it just made me wonder. And so even here it says, Today smoking is much rarer on television, with very few exceptions, <laughs> only done by ins- unsympathetic or disreputable characters. Interesting. Well, I mean... So. Y- Preacher without cigarette smoking is ridiculous. Like you, if yeah. he if he spent the whole show chewing bubblegum, it'd be really different because he's just part of that character. He's always having a cigarette. 
It looks like that may be just like a broadcast thing, but with you saying Mad Men, I don't know. I th- I could be mistaken, but I thought in Mad Men, I I thought I remembered taking note that they were they were cutting they around were never and actually, smoking. Yeah. yeah, they show plenty of drinking. Yeah, there's obviously no no laws against that. <laughs> yeah. Same in Preacher. Yeah, it's just funny. It's one. It it's a trope of westerns. You know, cowboys in general are smoking. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not a cigarette smoker. I think I've had like. Maybe two, three cigs in my entire life. And I remember, I think in, in high school or college, we were talking about the same thing. And I said to Gojo, I was like, but I mean, like, smoking is cool. And he was like, oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> like, we fully acknowledge that, like, these cool characters smoke and yeah. it enhances their mystique. It doesn't mean that I want to go do it. Mm-hmm. But maybe I was just brought up that way to be like, hey, smoking's bad. Don't do it. And I was like, okay. <laughs> but I'll still, I'll still say, like, hey, that guy looks cool striking up that smoke. Yeah. Yeah, and then with a character like Jesse, you gotta have it. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. it's just inherent to the character. Um, but that scene just drenched in smoke. Yeah, it was really cool. It was pretty good. It and in that great. bluish light that all the art mm-hmm. for the season has been into. Yep, that was that was really beautiful. I also really like the shot of Jeffy Je- Jeffy, Jeffy Jesse having the epiphany. You see the lamp turn on. Yeah, yeah. Again, pretty pretty on the nose. Cartoonish. But, you got a got a little, little silly. Yeah. Um, the first thing I thought of was Home Alone too. When Tim Curry has that like little epiphany and the light above his head goes ding and turns on. <laughs> so awesome. I don't remember that. Any, I haven't watched Home Alone 2 in a long time. Oh, it's so good. I've seen Home Alone 1 like 40 times since Nicole and I started dating. Oh, that's good. I have not seen Home Alone 2. Home Alone 2 is awesome. And Tim Curry's performance in it cannot be cannot be talked about well, enough. He's Tim Curry. It's true. Yeah. He's great. Anyway. Um The only so uh do you know are you familiar with Victor and Gary? You, this is this is a yes or no question. No, no, not that I know of. They okay. may have different names. They, yeah, maybe these are people in the comic that are, or they were really tiny characters that uh, have been expanded into a bigger capacity. That's fair. Okay, good to know. Um, yeah, uh, what do you think of the fight between Gary and and uh, and Tulip? Like her being her being choked kind of for the first part of it, and then finally getting the upper hand. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah. I liked I liked showing that dominance that he had in terms of like just carrying her around while he's trying to get a cell signal was kind of funny uh i mean not funny but it was it was it was a clever way to 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 have the fight scene actually have some stakes and he really instead of him just like throwing her yeah and then her scrambling for weapon and him kicking it away or like punching her in the face like i'm glad it was like he was just kind of restraining her yeah but he was obviously harming her by dragging her through all the decorations of the room and stuff well and I, i feel like we've we've been taught so much that tulip doesn't take any shit and is gonna right. Oh yeah, like like the the fact that uh, he basically only gets her by catching her on her on her way is the first yes. time, and then when she finally and that's gets what her I bearings, thought. Yeah, during the scene, I was like, listen, as soon as she gets the opportunity to kill this dude, she's gonna take it, he's and gone, and yeah. I knew I was like, he's probably underestimating her willingness to just take him out. Yeah, I thought she would get a hold of the gun and blow him away, but then I was like, how do you? How, how, at what point? How are these characters explaining all these situations? <laughs> but even still, like you still got a big giant guy laying in the room. Yep, got to handle it. Oh, here comes Cass. Here's Cassie. Take care of it. Yep. All right, and then uh, finally, Act Five of Episode Two. Fior protests any potential use of Genesis while Jesse pledges to use it if it will bring him closer to God, because he believes Genesis was not a mistake and was meant to find him and be used by him. Tulip changes her mind about getting married, and the gang set off on the road once again with Jesse using the word on Fiora to get to tell him to find peace. 
and essentially draw the Saint of Killers to him. Fiore, even after agreeing with Cassidy to drop the Saint of Killers from their trail, uh, gets confronted by the Saint, but he decidedly does not tell the Saint to stand, stand down because he believes Genesis needs to die. And uh, he hires him for one last job, which is to kill him on stage as Ganesh in front of the audience. The audience, of course, boos and hates the act because he doesn't come back, which is another, another. Uh, yeah, it was part sad. Fior's Fior's fate is a real bummer. Yeah, which is funny because he's not a character I'm particularly attached to, but you do kind of develop a fondness for him. Yeah, because you spend so much time with him and DeBlanc in season one, mm-hmm. and then you realize that Fior is definitely more the lost puppy of the two. Yeah, and uh, without DeBlanc there to kind of help him out. He's definitely just this wayward soul. For sure. I As soon as Jesse said, find peace, I was like, well, that's it. He's going to get killed by the Santa <laughs> Killers. <laughs> yeah. It's the only peace he's going to find. Yep. Pretty much. Yeah. And the idea that he kind of like, uh, he goes back to his room and it's empty with all of this fun stuff that he and Cassidy were doing. That and was so sad. He's sitting at his uh, at his dressing room table or whatever and he sees all these notes from like adoring fans and he still just doesn't care about it at all it's kind of it's pretty sad it's pretty sad fior's kind of not epiphany but his reaction to all of that i think is is really important and it's a it's an important uh sort of not really a through line but kind of a theme to to the book or preacher it's not really a theme so much i guess as like a consequence but there's this I- idea that gets introduced at some point in the book. And uh, I think it's probably a little bit later on, but kind of the idea that uh, it's all fun and games until it's not basically. And that everything you're, you're doing has some some consequences and every relationship is, is potentially going to end. And, You know, I kind of made that comment at, towards the beginning of, of this episode in regards to episode one that I thought of that kind of snapshot of the good old days. Yep. And inevitably, somebody's going to get left behind in the good old days. And like, I think most people, most actual people can look back on like friends they had during college or high school or experiences they had. And there's people that they don't keep in touch with anymore. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's just a result of people naturally growing apart, but also like friendships go bad. And things things can turn sour between people, even people who really cared about each other. And this is obviously not news to anybody yeah. uh, that, that is a human. But I think Fior in that moment when he walks back to his room, is he's kind of the remnant. Like he was kind of used for a purpose and he was kind of a temporary, a single serving friend, if you will, to Cassidy. And he just got left behind and kind of discarded. And I think that this is something that humans... Uh, experience and some people get used to because it's just sort of their lot in life as horrible as that sounds Mm -hmm. and uh you get thick thicker skin and you kind of get accustomed to things like that happening uh and i think fior is almost like a little kid who that kind of happens to for the first time his loss of innocence yeah yeah and he's i mean just kind of when he thinks he knows what it's like to be human and he has this like really kind of crappy life that he's continuing for some reason he then finds a little bit of fun and like a friend in Cassidy, somebody else who is not really a human. He's a vampire. He's he's different and he has different perspective 
and he has kind of a kindred spirit in him and then he again just gets left behind and they don't invite him along for the road trip they just go oh no you're not allowed in our group though we'll play with you at recess but (laughs) screw you once we get out out of school you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and it's like it's just such a bummer and it's this like in all in that one shot of him walking in there and just seeing the mess all this came crashing down on him and and i think just the weight of like he almost had some purpose yeah and i thought he was going to come with them for a minute because she's like you're the angel that's going to help us and he's like, yeah and she's like cool and i was kind of like oh he gets to be in he's the gang join the crew yeah nope you stay here thanks for the help bud yeah. uh saint should be here anytime just hang tight and then tell him to stop and we'll be good thanks later and they just don't think twice about it and again it's one of those it's like i said the the relationship between tulip jesse and cassidy and the way they kind of view him as like their kind of helper yeah that's kind of how they all treat him instead of treating him like a person and thinking about how he might feel about just being the messenger and that he's, he really has no purpose. This became his purpose for a minute. Yeah. And, and it, of course, you know, they, they're just like, Oh, you're going to do that. Cool. Later. And they just think it's going to be fine. And of course he's not gonna, like he doesn't trust Jesse necessarily to, to not use Genesis. And yeah. He's clearly not happy, and then to, to top it off, you told him to find peace. Well, <laughs> poor bastard just wants to die. Yep. What do you think he's going to do? But yeah. I think that Fior really, his little mini arc, if it's even an arc so much as to day crescendo, <laughs> <laughs> is that he really realized what it meant to be human, is to to not only live in, in a way, but to love and then maybe to, to suffer, to be unloved. Yes. To, to have been, to have been cast aside in favor of something else. Yeah. Which I think is as sad and bleak as that is, is just a part of life. And it's something that we all get used to. And obviously we all know the ups and downs of life, but, uh, I'm really glad that they went that road with him because I think part of what makes preacher so good as, as this, this body of work, both in the book and the show is, is taking these characters and being able to apply the human experience to them and see how they handle it. And, uh, we're running out of heavenly characters here to, uh, <laughs> yeah. to slap these ideas on. So yeah. we're just gonna have to watch the humans and the vampire deal with it for a while. But, mm-hmm. uh, I thought that was, uh, that was a really profound moment of him in, in the, in his dressing room in front of the mirror after yeah. that, just kind of staring at himself and like, really trying to figure out what he is anymore and looking you know you're right on the one hand he has all this fan mail all these wonderful things and you can see how uh even like artists in real life they might seem to have so much going for them and so much adoration but ultimately if their existence doesn't mean anything to them then what's the point yeah and you know we see all these horrible things like all these awful sad suicides of, of famous stars and people who overdose and and we always just you know, like even Chris Cornell relatively recently mm-hmm. uh, in Detroit, unfortunately. And you'll see this tremendous outpouring for like a week on Facebook. And then people forget the about life, it. Life moves yeah. on. People forget about it and it goes away, which is even also just a giant bummer. Even in death, yeah. you'll eventually kind of be forgotten or, or at least, you know, pushed to a lower priority. And you just feel really bad because oftentimes people always say like, oh, it's just so sad. You know, Robin Williams was a, was a huge one. Yeah. And that was just, a, it left a hole in like movies in like Hollywood mm-hmm. because he's been a constant my entire life, your entire life, most of our, our lives. And then to have that guy go away and we just all like, oh, he had so much going for him though. He was so funny. He was so happy. He had family and all these movies and he was adored around the world, but he was sad. He was still, yeah, he was depressed. He's human. Yeah. And we forget, I think a lot of times that these people are humans and I'm not trying to compare Fior to Robin Williams necessarily, but <laughs> you know, I think there's, there is a, there is a lesson 
here kind of writ large that is going to fly over Jesse, Cassidy, and Tulip's heads. They're not even going to know. They probably will never know until the saint shows up again. And even then they might not know, but the... The unfortunate reality is that they they just had him to help them and then they moved on. And this is also something we do, I think, as humans. We don't necessarily always consider how someone else or another party is going to feel about something like this. Yeah. So I think there there's a lot going on in that relationship. For sure. Which is really sad. But yeah. really good. And uh, lo- looking back over my notes, I don't know if you caught it because I didn't catch it until I, I do a second watch of these shows and I also put on the the closed captions okay which is how i caught the people with the guns in the beginning of the episode i meant to do that and i forgot to put on the captions uh there's a there's a quote when they're getting in the car and they're packing up their stuff uh fjord walks off camera to behind the car presumably as people are loading their luggage into their car and uh you hear fjord say be careful with that one it's cassidy's (laughs) of like a like a and it's just after he hugs cassidy Mm. But his like adoration yeah, and, and yeah. feelings about Cassidy is that's funny. No, I didn't notice that. Yeah, um, I did like when Cassidy was hugging him, and he was like, "All right, that's that's enough of you now." <laughs> yeah, and I was yeah. like, "It's funny," but at the same time, I was like, "Man, what a dick!" He just wants to say goodbye to him. He really cares about him, and he's just kind of like, "Okay, I'm uncomfortable now." Yeah, you need to stop. And it's kind of like the uh, it's kind of like Dell from Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. You know, in the moment, yep. you're like, "Ah, God, this guy's the worst. I can't wait to be rid of him." But then you really look back and go, "Oh." Did I really have to say that? Yeah. Could I have held in there for five more seconds and let him finish <laughs> his hug and feel better about himself? You know? Yeah. But again, to air is human. Yep. Uh, we do. There, There is another little moment here where uh, Jesse is saying that they're going to head to New Orleans because Fjord does not necessarily pull it out of him, but he does ask him to know that information before uh, he tells the saint that. Uh, Tulip arrives at the same conclusion as Jesse is telling this to Fiora, and we see the tail light of the car pop on just like the the light popped on behind Jesse, mm-hmm. uh, which I thought was a nice little detail, some consistency there. And um, other than that, I don't think there's too much in the second episode to say. Uh, I did want to bring up the fact that something that I forgot about in the first or the, the teaser actually tulip when they're being, when the gunfight is happening around all of them is when tulip says, maybe you should use Genesis right now, or you should use the word It's kind of that. That's the question that got answered in the second episode a little bit of like, she does see a very utilitarian, like we're going to die here. You should use this. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, but I still think that's going to be a bigger idea that they play with throughout the season as well. I, I agree. Yeah. Uh, other so the questions that I had kind of written up here: Why weren't the Langels invited to Jesse's parents' wedding, which we may hear more about later? Uh, will Tulip always be morally opposed to the use of Genesis? The answer is no, but there's still going to be more on that, as we said. Uh, and why doesn't Genesis work on the Saint of Killers? Is kind of the other thing that I walked out of there with. Yeah, I'm actually going to go look. Uh, because I brought it up, I want to look up in the comic. Yeah, uh, we can follow up on it next I want to find out if it does work on him or not. Awesome. Uh, in general, did you like the two-part premiere? I did, quite a bit. Two? I think that it's uh, simultaneously, it's a lot bigger and a little more silly and crazy. But at the same time, the, the deep moments, uh, for me personally in particular, the jazz yep. scene with Tammy in, in episode one and then Fior's whole kind of 
uh, moment, which again, I've really zoomed in on and blown up this micro expression into this whole giant <laughs> thought of, of what the show is about. But I think that's the point of talking about this kind of yeah, stuff for and, sure. And loading up these scenes with, uh, well, and both of these subtext. episodes crescendo to those moments essentially. Yeah. So that's gotta be where their intention was. And I really like that. I think that, you know, the show would not be serving its full purpose or reaching its full potential if it was just about entertaining you. Every episode should leave people thinking about uh, how they feel about life and and religion and existence and also maybe what they're doing right, and maybe what they're doing wrong. Like I think that's it's a big important part of Preacher. And it's it's if you're just watching it and you think, hey, it's just a fun show, by all means, that's awesome. Yeah. But I think that there's a lot there's a lot of depth, a lot more in subtext it. there. And there's yeah. a lot of subtext and there's a lot that you can take out of it and carry with you mm-hmm. into the world which i think is pretty cool yeah and i think that we also experienced a lot of that in westworld to an extent when we yeah. were talking about that show for sure which you should check out if you haven't watched westworld absolutely westworld.fm go check out our westworld yeah podcast. also listen to us but yeah. watch the show because it's it's also fantastic it's it's a pretty seminal work yeah i think it's going to be talked about for a long time so totally we will continue to talk about it for a long time for sure <laughs> as long as it's on yeah, I enjoyed the two-part premiere. It's got me excited to be to be on this journey. I'm glad Preacher's back. Uh, me too. Especially since we won't get any Westworld for a while as well. Yeah, that's true. We'll probably get two seasons of Preacher in the time it takes to get <laughs> yeah, Westworld. Absolutely. Yeah, there's nothing else on TV like it, and there's nothing else in the comic world like it. So yeah. uh, I do remember somebody wrote in last season, and you had mentioned maybe reading the book or something and somebody wrote in and said that they would they like the show's yeah. format as it is yep and you said never mind i won't read a new preacher yeah and i think that that's part of what makes our show unique is that we are coming at it from very different perspectives mm-hmm. we've been considering i've been considering having us do this with the alienist as well i don't think yeah. alex is necessarily as on board no i i'm I, I think i'm on board with it it depends on how things shake out schedule schedule wise yeah but, of course of course yeah um, we don't want to take too much on but it would it would almost be the same show <laughs> in, a, in a way, except very different subject matter. So we'll see. The Alienist, for those who don't know, or maybe you're unaware that it's being adapted to be a TV show on... Uh, yeah, I've F- told my dad twice and he's forgotten both times. <laughs> is it FX or is it uh, uh, TNT? I think it's I think TNT. It's TNT. So is adapting a book called uh, The Alienist written by Caleb Carr. Yes. Uh, and we are considering doing a show on that. So if you want that to happen, if you're a fan of that show or you're not or of that book or maybe you just want to hear more of our voices, let us know if you would listen to it because we're certainly investigating the possibility and that should be happening later this year. But Yeah, we'll also probably do something regarding the Dark Tower. Yeah, maybe on the uh, Film Nerds feed. Yeah, yeah, that'd be that'd be good. So, how much have you how much have you gotten through? I haven't moved. You've been audio booking it, right? I was I was trying to do both. I try to like if I really want to comprehend something, I've been reading it and audio booking simultaneously. Really, that actually, whoa, helps me fully comprehend it. Actually, the Amazon Kindle app on iPad. If you own the audiobook, we'll play it and highlight the words as you go along. <laughs> it will read to you? Yeah. Yeah. It teaches you how to read. No, it just it's actually phonics. reads to you. It's yeah. hooked on phonics. For sure. Amazon so, phonics. That's, that would distract me. Uh, oddly enough, I need I would need one or the other. You know what I mean? I get that. But that, I mean. I want to try it, actually. I kind of want to try it out to see how it goes. It's just about the only way that I can even start to grasp at the idea of comprehending. I'm really glad that you are 
giving it that attention and not just listening to it in the car or yeah. while you're on the treadmill or anything because that with with something like that with a show like ours you can listen to while you drive yeah. or something like that but well, an actual work of fiction like that it's, and that's, it's better that's to, kind yeah. of my that's why I don't listen to as many audiobooks as I would want to I got you but anyway so you were still on the first book yeah I'm still saying. I'm still okay. working on the first yeah, book yeah Tim read all seven I think yep. I believe Willie has read all seven yeah I was rereading them and I got midway through four and then I think I stopped I got distracted by something. I think I I switched gears and tried to, to do American Gods instead. Okay, yeah, I just haven't finished that either. Oh well. Now I <laughs> anyway, re- now I got to reread Preacher. <laughs> we we will maybe be doing something about the Dark Tower. We will let you know if that pops up because I think this show will just about be ending around the time that the movie comes out on August fourth. I don't know when the when the season finale. Yeah, so we're gonna Preacher have scheduled. eleven more weeks of yep. show. Yep. At least we uh. Plus maybe one more first season wrap up show yeah, yeah. as well. That's so true. Well, something we'll something like that. But anyway, it's gonna be a good summer. We're both happy to be back. Yes. Uh, we want to hear more from you. Uh, so as always, once again, you can find more episodes of our podcast on g2tpodcast.com. That's the letter G number two letter T podcast.com. We're also on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play Music. Uh, we're G2T Podcast on Twitter. And you can email us, g2tpodcast at gmail.com, to tell us what you think of our podcast and share your thoughts on AMC's Preacher so we can read them on our show. Send us corrections, observations, or anything regarding Preacher or our podcast. Uh, The Midwest Podcast Network has other shows about video games, horror movies, and HBO's Westworld. Find out more about these shows as well as how to support the network at midwestpodcastnetwork.com. And finally, of course, our theme music is the song All In by The Red Thread, and it is being used under a non-commercial Creative Commons license. But uh, Nick and I are excited for season two of Preacher. Absolutely. It's off to a great start. So until the next episode, go forth and speak the good word.